Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and uh, welcome once again to Where the Big Boys Play. Uh, I'm Parv, and of course, I'm joined, as always, by Chad Campbell. How are you doing, Chad? Doing pretty good, Parv. How are you doing today? Good. Well, it's good to be back. And um, I mean, the last time uh, we put out a show, it was, of course, our top 100 matches. And we got quite a lot of feedback. It's a very high praise for those shows, which I was pleased about, Chad. Yeah, I was ex- excited about the feedback for that. And um, those were a couple of good shows. And kind of, though, in some ways, uh, <laughs> kind of inadvertently, I guess, dampered my interest in wrestling for a little bit. Um <laughs> a lot of lot of I guess outlying factors too with uh, real world stuff. I'm still very low on modern WWE. Mm. Uh, just real quickly, probably the lowest I've been interested in WWE since 2004 2005. Right now, uh, so a couple of those things, and then it always seems as we get into the holidays uh, in the fall, especially. I don't know if this is true in the UK part, but around here, the fall are really busy months. Yeah. Uh, we have, we have NFL, football, college football gearing up, uh, going to apple farms and pumpkin patches and all that nonsense every weekend. So <laughs> not a lot of time for wrestling at points. Yeah, it is quite a busy uh, time. Um, of course, in, we just had Halloween. And in this country, uh, we also have the 5th of November, which is a big uh, event. You know, it's a big fight. Uh, I won't go into Guy Fawkes and all of that, but um, traditionally you have a bonfire. And you put Guy Fawkes at the top of it and watch him burn, you know. <laughs> oh, um, wow. But uh, but the, yeah, I mean they've been doing. You, then 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 there's big fireworks. So I went to two of those last week. Um, very busy at work, etc. But I'm glad that we were able to s- slip this one in, Chad. And I'm very happy to be back in the world of 1992 WCW. And I should have mentioned it's uh, of course Beach Blast that we're going to look at. Um, but before that, the Meltzers. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra Extra. with Dave Meltzer. It's June the 1st, uh, 92, and um, basically uh, WrestleWar, which is the last show that we looked at, seems like a lifetime ago now, Chad, (laughs) um, was uh, it did a 0.6 national buy rate, uh, although some sources have estimated it was as low as 0.3 which would be the lowest of all time from any major pay-per-view show from either either of the major two groups. Um, The Super Brawl pay-per-view did uh, anywhere from a 0.6 to a 1.0. So uh, really the pay-per-view business is not doing very well either, Chad. Uh, Yeah, it's not doing great. And this this is kind of one of the things with the whole Dangerous Alliance. Um, I guess one of the talking points on why they fizzled it out kind of quickly here 
is because it didn't really deliver both from a uh, live gate perspective and it looks like from a pay-per-view perspective either. You know what's quite funny is that Meltzer references his own polls here. It says, even based on the replies to our poll, which has traditionally been between 400 and 550, the last major, uh, the last major pay-per-view event, WrestleMania, topped 600 responses. Um, for clashes and pay-per-views, even among the hardcores who were being counted on the automatic buys, some decided, decided to skip this show. So even Meltzer himself is seeing like fewer responses to his polls. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, thing Meltzer, Meltzer always uses his polls as kind of a baseline indicator on whether there was a lot of buzz for the show or not. Um, even now on the radio shows, he'll talk about that and uh, kind of to explain that a show he thinks will do well or not on pay-per-view and also some of the uh, MMA fights. Isn't it funny to think about, Chad, that probably more people will listen to this show than... Uh and that responded to, to the, to the, to the uh, was it Beach Blast uh, poll at the time? So. Well, I guess, I mean, I guess it's just a moment in time because you yeah. either have to fax it in or write a physical yeah. letter. Um, I mean, I mean, I've never been bothered to write a uh, poll response into Meltzer anyway. Now, just through a simple email, much less I'm not going to write a letter or yeah. fax one in. World has changed. Um, Great American Bash um, has moved, um, uh, rumored uh, for some time uh, to be at the uh, Philadelphia Civic Center. It's been moved to Albany, uh, which is in your neck of the woods. Um, Where is Albany compared to where you live, Chad? Mm, Yeah, it's about three hours south. (laughs) Right, Uh, okay. Yeah, a pretty, pretty big step down in city prestigeness i would say to go from philadelphia to uh albany georgia kind of kind of a strange choice mm. I, I i guess watts made that choice but i always um it, it's very odd that they would go to all i mean even albany as of in of itself i mean i don't know if they knew they wanted to do starcade in the omni in atlanta by this point so they didn't want to deal with the omni but he, I, I would, I would think even like the uh, Bayfront Center in Tampa, where they had Super Brawl One. Yeah. I mean, something like that seems better than Albany, Georgia. Uh, just, just a weird. Well, we'll I mean, you're ta- talking about the fourth biggest city in Georgia. We'll be reviewing that one soon, but uh, it's always had kind of like a high school gym quality. That whole show, you know. Um, right. But anyway, um, just incidentally, over in WF land. Um, WF, meanwhile, have moved their SummerSlam show from the Cap Centre um, in Landover, of course, to Wembley Stadium in London. Um, so, <laughs> you know, at the same time you've got um, moving from Philly to Albany, um, they're moving uh, SummerSlam from uh, Landover to London. So there we go. Um, and goes into some of the reasons why that is actually quite a good business move, because as the... Uh, U.S. market is going down. The market in Europe and especially the U.K. is going up. Um, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but uh, I've said it many times. One of Vince's biggest things selling out Wembley, or near enough. I think it uh, doesn't get enough credit for that. Um, anyway, uh, the only summer uh, pay-per-view event which hasn't been moved is uh, Beach Blast. It's going to be on June the 20th in Mobile, Alabama. Um, 
And uh, the schedule, uh, the August mini pay-per-view from Tokyo, consisting of the NWA Championship Tournament, um, and the Campus Crush uh, pay-per-view, uh, which was going to run in September, scheduled for Boulder, Colorado, were both cancelled by Bill Watts. So, um, Bill Watts, you can already sense his changes here. And uh, I'm sure that Albany thing was a cost-cutting move, move Chad. You know, local market. Um, anyway, speaking of Bill Watts and uh, WCW management, our hero, Kip Allen Frey, has quit the company. Uh, he quit the company on Wednesday, which came as no surprise to anyone. Uh, Frey apparently had no idea that they were literally pulling the rug from underneath him uh, when it came to the power of hiring Bill Watts. Um, so Watts is going to work under Patrick, and uh, the number two man in the company is now going to be Jim Ross. Um, so we, we touched on this last time, didn't we? Um, yes. Some of these changes, but uh, there we go. So, you know, Jim Ross is actually quite a big dude behind the scenes, even early on. I think people think of Jim Ross as a power broker later on in his career, but he's he's pretty big backstage here, you know. Yeah, and even even before that, uh, you know, kind of in the UWL for running the TV distribution, which for the territory days that was really huge, and how many uh, syndicates you syndicated stations you were on. Um, and and uh, UWF Mid South had a pretty good reach in that regard. Yeah, they're going to. Um, they're also going to overhaul the new Saturday Night TBS show, which was of course Kip Frey's brainchild. Um, the Saturday show is going to face an overhaul. Um, Ross likened Bill Watts to Vince Lombardi, uh, the late legendary pro football coach, and that his philosophy isn't that winning is everything, but the winning is the only thing. Uh, he said that a lot of current wrestlers may be going through a culture shock because of the heavy discipline that is going to be imposed. More on that soon. I think we're going to have fun going through those rules, Chad. Right. <laughs> um, Ross surmised that there could be as great as a 30 to 40% turnover in talent before, before things are said and done. So that you can already tell Watson, uh, Ross are planning a kind of a putch here or a, or a kind of clearing out of the dead wood. Um, I don't think Iron Sheik's going to be picking up a paycheck uh, anytime soon from them. <laughs> no. Uh, um, so, yeah, just just another couple of little bits uh, from uh, later on in the newsletter. Um, hold on a second. I couldn't help but notice that a certain John Williams was writing in at this time. I wonder who that uh, was. <laughs> in the uh, letters, the reader's pages. Yeah. yeah. So, um, just a couple of on-screen things. Steve Austin regained the WCW title from Barry Windham in Chattanooga on uh, the Worldwide Tapings. Seen any of those matches, Chad? The Steve Austin, Barry Windham ones? Yeah, um, they're, they're good. Very good, solid bouts. This is right when Austin cuts his hair. Um, and in a lot of ways, it kind of, I, I think that really sort of set him off. Um, I don't, I, mean, I guess we sort of have some different views on Austin. I mean, I understand he's three years into his career part, but I, I do see him as a little inconsistent. I know in yeah. the poll that was the Austin versus Shawn Michaels poll, yeah. uh, for instance, I thought Michaels in 86 with the Rockers and AWA was better than anything Austin did in 89 through 92, really. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, certainly high spots here and there, like the uh, I, I liked the Dustin Rhodes match at 
at Halloween Havoc, and he had a couple of decent TV matches, and I did like some of the Chris Adams stuff where he dressed up in the football suit, but I don't think he quite put it all together, and these uh, these matches with Barry Windham seemed like him kind of getting into a feud where he'd put it all together, and then as we'll see in 1993 with the TV stuff and with the uh, Super Show stuff we watch, when he becomes the Hollywood Blondes, I think that's really when he kind of starts taking the ball and running with it. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought that the coming out party for Austin Chad, if I'm honest, was uh, probably the War Games that we watched. The, yeah, he that, was very good in that. That was really the kind of first performance where I thought, wow, this guy is really is something. So um, that would be my take on it. And honestly, I, my feeling is that I'm a bit lower on the Chris Adams stuff than a lot of people are. Um, yeah um certainly a possibility um and, and i mean i mean like the war games he was very good but remember i mean that tag match from super brawl he's clearly the number four person in that match so yeah it's still still i'd say a bit inconsistent but he's starting to put it together so but i mean wasn't that pole taking the whole package the Shawn michaels versus austin one yes but i i do know in the argument uh I, I seem to recall in some of that poll, which that poll kind of got me a little upset, uh, that the uh, the argument was that, well, I mean, yeah, Michaels had a pretty good early career with the Rockers, but Austin was really good kind of straight out of the gate, too. Yeah. Um, in which case, I mean, just looking at Austin's career overall, like 90, yeah, good rookie, but I wouldn't say a good wrestler. I mean, you know, d- good, decent to good, not great. Um, 91, okay year, 92, good year, 93, really good year, 94, uh, probably still good year, 95, kind of a lost year, 96, up to a lot of point in time, uh, probably a good year at best, I think, inconsistent, he has Savio Vega and Mark Marrow stuff, but a lot of nothing stuff as well. And then, and then you get into the Stone Cold run where it's no denying that he's a, huge star but in ring i think he certainly loses something mm. after he uh hurts his neck by owen hart at SummerSlam. that's yeah you can see a, a, a direct shift in the way he works matches after that match yeah and i'm not as high on some of the brett match stuff uh the, the brett hart stuff as you know so um that you know the the like I, I, I like the big one but i don't like uh that um, the other one, you know, do you remember the one we argued about? Yeah, the Survivor Series not this <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, to me, in the confines of that poll, like, if you compare Shawn Michaels' 1986 to 1998, whenever he leaves for the first time, to Steve Austin's 1990 through 2002, or 2003, I guess, when he leaves, I... I lean towards Sean in that period yeah. and then I mean regardless of what you think of post-combat Sean Michaels uh, whether he was you know amazing or not I think it's certainly true that he had at least good to very good matches uh, at points during that run and Austin has nothing so it was a pretty yeah. easy choice for me to pick I I think you might have a point that, objectively speaking, uh, you probably have to go with Sean, like in in ring over the whole career. 
Um, my, I mean, my position on that is indefensible because I just basically personally hate Shawn Michaels, as you know. But right. uh, but that's got nothing to do with uh, if I was going to sit back and really take myself out of it, I, I'd probably have to go with Michaels as well. But um, I shouldn't be talking about getting upset over polls. So let's <laughs> let's move on um, <laughs> because on June the eighth, um, uh, Don Owen uh, has retired. He was eighty years old. Um, and uh, up until that point, uh, the promoter in Oregon, of course, Portland, and he made a tearful announce- announcement before just 80 fans at the Portland Sports Arena um, that the uh, 5.30 show would be his last as a promoter, which ended 68 years of involvement in pro wrestling. He started out helping his father in 1925, um, uh, which is uh, mind-boggling to think about. If, uh, you know, it's a long time in wrestling. 1925 so there we go I just wanted to mention uh, a small mention of uh, Dono in there Um, the other uh, uh, thing here the big part of uh, this particular newsletter is that the WCW wrestlers this past week received a letter officially listing the new rules most of which had either been previously speculated upon or talked about in a previous announcement to the wrestlers when Bill Watts appeared at the house show a few weeks back at Savannah, Georgia. Anyway, effective on June the 1st, the rules, which have been dubbed the Ten Commandments by the wrestlers, <laughs> go as follows, okay? You get ready for this. And maybe we can pause after each one. You can tell me what you reckon, okay? All right. Use of the ring barricades and ring post is forbidden and will also be cause for an automatic DQ. <laughs> um, yeah, that... <laughs> I guess that one, I, I would give that one a pretty old, uh, you know, I mean, that, I'd say in 1992 that feels pretty dated, but that's not as bad as some I'm sure we'll get to. Wrestling around the ring, wrestling outside the ring is discouraged. So that's the second Yeah, that, that again can be lumped in with the first one. I mean, I mean in theory, I guess, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not opposed to more good technical scientific wrestling since that probably is one of my favorite types yeah uh but but to say it can never happen or is discouraged or automatic dq feels pretty stern in that regard absolutely no low blows first offense is a one thousand dollar fine second offense is a two thousand five hundred dollar fine third offense is a five thousand dollar fine and will be considered a breach of contract if a wrestler is hit low, he is to make every effort not to sell the move as a low blow. So that's uh, that could hurt the uh, Rick Root selling of the atomic drop. Or, uh... <laughs> it's, it's probably good the job that Flair was with that WF yeah, this time. That's true too. This, that 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 one's really stupid to me. <laughs> Imagine old man Rick Flair having to work under those conditions. He wouldn't right. have any money, would he? <laughs> Go well. back to the eye boat. <laughs> um, okay, next rule. All wrestlers are due in the building one hour before the scheduled starting time of the show, with fines again being implemented for being late. $1,000 for the first offence, $2,500 for the second offence, 5000 and a breach of, breach of contract for the third offence. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see how you think about this one, because I know... This is something, too, that comes up in 
Foley's book where he, you know, he talks about like how they'd have, and I guess I think they had to stay to the end of the last match or whatever. So he talks about them lining up in their cars and as soon as the pinfall hits, they would run out. But I, I, I'm a little conflicted on this one. I've always had been because I understand that wrestling, of course, is a, is a treacherous job and, you're on the road a lot, but by the same token, I mean, if you're asked to show up somewhere an hour before the show starts, I don't think that's too egregious. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I kind of always go back and forth on that. My honest feeling is that because um, we've, you know, we've been tracking the fortunes of this company for quite a long time now, Chad. And um, do you remember all of the different no shows and things? Like how unprofessional that locker room was. Oh yeah, the yeah. So, the no shows were ridiculous. So I, I think like when you're dealing with a locker room like that, maybe you need a bit of this, you know. Like he's basically just trying to show them who's who's boss and like do your job type thing, you know. So right. is this a little bit draconian? Like um, I couldn't see this flying in a university, for example. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, I think uh, I think like if you're scheduled to be at a show, show up. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that kind of goes to your certain profession. Like, I mean, in my profession, in the accounting field, one of the professions kind of notorious with longer hours. Yeah. I, I mean, this feels par for the course. We get we get new bosses every year, par of our direct in charge. They switch our teams, and uh, whatever team you're on, you're working on their schedule. And there's some that come in in the morning, want you to be there at nine. And yeah. there's some that want you to be there at 7:30, and if you get stuck with the 7:30 guy, that's that's when you're showing up to work. So, God, that it's, sounds it's, it's that kind sounds of... bad. But I I will I mean I will say like okay, so you couldn't you probably couldn't enforce something like this in a university, but um like don't if you've got a lecture there don't miss it, <laughs> don't be late for it you know so right. there, it, I guess it depends what's important in the thing you know because. Uh, you know, if I don't show up for a lecture, that's what fifty people who were put out by it. So you kind of have to be there, you know. But sure. I guess people are just professional enough not to to actually show up. But you know, wrestlers are a slightly different breed. Um, that's true. <laughs> so, so and and you got to remember that Watts is coming in with that kind of sports mentality. Like he he's thinking of like a group of young men, and he's like the adult type thing. This is what a lot of this sounds like to me. Um, definitely I, I, I definitely think that they were bringing in Watts primarily as a disciplinarian kind of in the wake of the former bosses and you know somebody like Hurd who kind of tried to have his own vision and everything like that he wasn't respected yeah. and so that didn't work and Frey was too lenient so or Fry yeah. uh, so so now they're coming into somebody they're sort of forced to respect just by the way he uh, acts and that's Bill Watts Fry was the carrot Watts is the stick clearly uh, and uh, this is the next rule and I actually think this one is pretty missing an event except in the case of the most severe injuries is considered a breach of contract. The only excusable exception is the uh, to this rule is an act of God. So, there we go. Fine with that. I think that's fair enough. Um, sure. 
Wrestlers who are injured and can't perform are still expected to make it at the town in order to show the fans that WCW is no longer falsely advertising talent. The only exception would be a crippling injury which doesn't allow for travelling. So literally, unless you're Magnum TA, you have to go to the show if you're injured. Now, to me, this one is, I would say, the most outrageous of the ones you've read so far. Because, <laughs> Why do you think that? <laughs> well, just because, I mean, what's the use? If he's injured, he's just, I mean, what are they going to do? Have him kind of come out and wave to the crowd just to show he's there? Well, but. I, I guess it's I guess it's to show that they, they weren't trying to hoodwink the fans. That, like, he was meant to be scheduled, but he's injured and here, here he is type thing. I, I, I can see that to a point, but I think in wrestling, like, I mean... I mean, wrestling is a profession based upon a lie that's being told. Yeah. So I think fans more naturally are willing to go along with. I, I mean, I mean, who's I? I can almost see people being skeptical, skeptical if they are there, but yeah. not wrestling to still thinking the injuries made up and they just simply didn't want to wrestle like the wrestler that's there. Well, knows? I know Vince's policy was just to give a refund, wasn't it? Right. Well, they. At times, and even now, still with uh, some indie shows, and uh, you know, at points they'll at the very big. Be- I think at the very beginning of the show, a, a good standard practice to me is if it's a big enough star. I mean, if at this point in time, if it's Dino Bravo didn't make the show, then fine. But if it's one of your say top five or six acts in the top three matches of the card, if somebody's injured. Um, and, and, you know, ahead of time, too, because it does say cards subject to change, but if, like, that night or a couple days beforehand, if something just happened that you hadn't been able to convey on TV, then if you get on the PA uh, before the show and say, so-and-so's not here, we'll, we will offer a fuel return uh, refund if you leave now uh, before the first match ends or, you know, something like that, like set a designated time limit where people can go get a refund. And I, I think that's, uh, as good a business practice as you can hope for. Yeah. And, uh, before anyone writes in to tell us, we do know that Dino Bravo could draw some gates in Canada. All right. <laughs> in 1992, Dino Bravo. <laughs> in fact, Dino Bravo 92 was mainly used to work that European tour. Uh, I mean, to, uh, yeah, to use to use the WCW pers- uh, wrestler around this time, like Greg the Hammer Valentine. Okay, he was a big name at some point. But if Greg the Hammer Valentine misses one of these house shows for WCW because he's injured, then I don't think you should offer full refunds to the fans, or the yeah. fans should expect that. Yeah. Okay. Um. Next one. Talking over the PA during the show is to be discouraged. Lewd hand gestures are prohibited, as is any cursing loud enough for the audience to hear. Yeah, so this is another one I'm interested to get your opinion on, and it may be... uh, Mm. uh, I mean... Because uh, it, this is another one I go back and forth on, and I, I can actually bring a personal uh, story in on this one, too, recently. You know, I went to the Ring of Honor show in Atlanta in August, and the Ring of Honor shows to both of the ones they've ran so far have had a pretty cool mixture in the crowd of families, uh, a lot of multicultures. It's, it's a really interesting mix. It's not, I guess, your stereotypical fat white guy like at the wrestling show. 
Um, but but in regard to that, like I mean, and, and wrestling certainly is a violent spectacle, so you are going to have violence. So I don't think you should. Uh, it's not a G-rated entertainment spectrum. But in one in the last Ring of Honor show I uh, went to, I, I can't remember the exact chant. And, and of course, now with any wrestling show, you're going to get holy shit chants just because you're going to have those types of fans. Yeah. But there was another pretty lewd chant at Maria Canellis that happened at the Ring of Honor show. And I sat there, and, and the wrestler in the ring actually kind of encouraged it. Um, and I was looking there, and there was an eight year old daughter that was with her family, and they were kind of just like taken aback by this. Uh, that this was being chanted, and I, I kind of thought that was a little wrong and unfair because up to that point in the show, it'd been yeah a pretty family-friendly, so to speak, wrestling show where any vulgar acts that came from the crowd um, and not from actually inside the ring. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what I make of this one um, because I mean some of my favorite moments from old watching old footage ironically from watching mid-south uh, when the pa is telling people to calm down and so on you know do you remember right, do, do, that's uh, true too. um so so that's one thing that the hand gestures okay fair enough if you want to make it kind of uh, kid friendly and to be honest i was never that keen on the whole up yours thing um i know the stone cold built a lot of his act on that didn't he but that's a kind of different time i'm i could kind of take or leave that one you know um, like, uh, you know, if I was Bill Watts, I'd just ban the DX thing, because I've always hated that. Uh, <laughs> the, but the cursing loud enough, I I don't know, because on the one hand, I think of, like, Ric Flair, and some of the times where he's, like, in a leg lock or something, and he's like, oh, you know, you can hear him screaming, and sometimes uh, the language can, can, you know, get towards being uh, bad. But then I also think of, like, I want to say Bret Hart. Now, can you remember those few moments where Bret Hart loses and you can see him be like, oh, shit, you know? And I've often wondered about whether that's like, is it is that adding realism to his character and, you know, helping get over the idea of the contest being legit? Or is it breaking his image as a, as a kind of childhood hero type thing? I don't know. I, I don't know. I got a specific example of that part. Survivor Series 1995. Now, I grew up in a very fundamentally Christian household. I've never, even to this day, I've not heard either one of my parents curse ever. Right. Um, but when Diesel got pinned, you know, in Survivor Series 1995, and he, the first thing out of his mouth is motherfucker, and you can see it right there, you know, right at the shot. Um, that was kind of one of my first, uh, as an eight-year-old, one of my first encounters with that word, mm. and was kind of starting to understand what was, you know, what that word meant, and that it was not a taboo word or whatever, a curse word. But but that was one of those type of examples where it was like, ooh, the, you know, and kind of this guy's acting sort of heelish, but just because he said the word, not necessarily anything else he did just because in my mind that was my mentality you know mm. as an eight-year-old that that was kind of a heel reaction yeah i don't know i can kind of go both ways with that um it depends on what you want the wrestling to be you know do you want it to be hogan and the kids or do you want it to be attitude era and i guess we're somewhere in the middle here 
Right. Know, so. It's a transition for sure. Um, next one. Fraternization between heels and baby faces in public is not acceptable. This includes traveling together and uh, to and from the arena, public appearances, restaurants, even going to the gym. This also includes faces and heels socializing together in social situations and the gym. Yeah, now this one seems pretty weak to me. <laughs> no, uh, why, why, why do you say that? I, I, I just think, I mean, up to a certain point, it's fine to keep kayfabe. But again, at this point in 1992, besides the smallest of kids, uh, who was, I guess, not... <laughs> I, I mean, I think by this point, everybody, even as a kid, I mean, you always had your uncle or dad or somebody that would... The first thing they were very eager to let you know is that it was all fake, or I bet these guys are best friends backstage, or something of that ilk. So, yeah, I don't, I don't actually, I actually think that they could do more of this sort of thing now. I know that sounds stupid, but like, I, I do think that it's bad where you get a heel who's on TV, and then like the next thing is they're on Twitter being a nice guy, or like the. Do you know what I mean? Like I, th- I, I kind of think it's gone yeah. too, too far the other way. You know, I, I, I think there's a good middle ground where, yeah, you're not asking them in their private life not to ever go out to eat with somebody that may be a small, you know, thirty people or whoever at a restaurant may see them together. But, I mean, yeah, if you're on Twitter to your million followers, uh, you know, being this great guy when you're heel. One, one thing that I thought was cool in the local indie promotion in the 2000s uh iwa mid-south for a short amount of time had a heel and face locker room they went back to that and i i thought that was kind of a cool old school touch i i, I think within the confines it can certainly the the lines can be blurred too far nowadays but mm-hmm. um and in this area i mean if they wanted to travel a heel in the face i don't see why that's a big deal really right yeah I, I just think of things like i don't know you know jim duggan and the iron sheet got like stopped by the police or whatever like if i was a fan then i'd be like hold on the all-american baby face with uh you know iran number one what are they doing together <laughs> like i don't know i don't know i can i can see a logic to it but it might be it might be a little too old school like you're saying i i don't know i uh i'd be interested to know where people are on that um, because to me, like, gotta remember, nineteen ninety two is quite a long time ago. So yeah, I mean, a lot of I, I think a lot of these rules really kind of so far have kind of been based on where you stand. Uh, and now I think us talking about this stuff now, in some ways, makes it more sympathetic to the rules than when they came out in nineteen ninety two, because yeah. of what we've seen now in two thousand fifteen with the way wrestling is. I mean, we've seen complete hardcore promotions after this time where you know they basically uh sensationalized the business to a degree with their uh, gore and brutality we've seen other instances where kayfabe has been blurred too much with twitter social media and other avenues Mm. so it kind of makes some of these rules feel like well you know maybe uh, probably not as severe, but maybe a little bit of these rules could be taken into effect today. Do you know what I'd love to see? This journey just occurred to me. I'd love to see a face-off between Bill Watts and Vince Russo. 
wonder if they ever met each other because like i can't think of two guys who are more polar opposites when it comes to uh when it comes to their philosophies on wrestling right i know jim i know jim Cornette had one ends with russo didn't he but uh russo whatever you want to say but um because yeah i think we talk in a post russo world um and you can see why you can see some of the reasons now that we've seen the consequences of why Watts was still wanting to be so protective of some of these rules, you know. Right. Um, no guests are allowed in the dressing room, including family members, the media, etc. Now, th- now this is something. Uh, so this is something that uh, British fans will uh, remember um, uh, f- from uh, football, because we we had uh, this. There was this whole big thing with the uh, the England soccer team, Chad. Of uh, we had a manager called Sven Goran Eriksson. Okay. And it was the era of the wags, the wives and the girlfriends. And when the new manager came in, uh, Fabio Capello, the first one of the first things he did was he said there are to be absolutely no wives, no girlfriends, no family members, no nonsense in the in the in the dressing room. Nobody backstage. In fact, nobody in the camp at all during the World Cup. And it was a big it was a big controversy at the time. Um, and that was even more recent. So. I th- can you see the rationale for banning family members, friends, etc., from backstage? I don't like this one. This is one that I kind of find in a sporting event, maybe a little more because you could say like the focus or whatever on the team. Yeah. But uh, but it, I mean, with wrestling, it's a performance. They were doing probably generally the same type of matches night in night out so it becomes more of a routine um so so i don't think they really needed to hone in on their focus too much before the show uh Mm. to where family members and friends and whoever should be barred from backstage see i i do you know what it would have been fascinating if flair was around during this time to know what would have had like would that have caused a massive problem but because yeah because he always seems like he's someone that has respect for watts yeah, and he but, did come in like it's it's really weird how when Watts's era ends is right when Flair arrives. Yeah, because because Super Brawl three he does the commentary, um, and that's that's right before like Watts booked that show, but was already gone. But but just knowing what Flair was like, do you think he could he'd respond well to this or badly? I don't I don't know. I mean, but I guess he was coming in because he was already back with the mm. company when Watts was still. I mean, maybe he knew he was on the way out, but because uh, I I get the impression things lax towards the end of Watts's run when he when he he basically figures out that he's up against it here and he cannot enforce these anymore type thing. Right. Um, maybe I don't know. doing a bit on, on this type of stuff maybe but I know still with the January 93 stuff I watched on the yearbook there was no uh, mats and the mm. top rope and all that stuff so I know, the, the interesting thing to speculate about but we always hear the story about um, Vince being very hard with Flair and him actually responding well to that in a weird right. way so yeah. anyway um each wrestler is allowed two complimentary tickets to each show for friends and family. Uh-huh. Any number of tickets above that number must be purchased at face value by the wrestler. <laughs> pretty pretty stingy there. <laughs> well, I mean, cost-cutting measures. Yeah, um, but I guess if you have a wife and two kids, you got to buy a ticket for one of the kids. 
Anyway, uh, Watts held a meeting on uh, June the 1st, before the first television taping, under his auspices, and added some new directives. He's going to cut back the length of the videotapings because he believes it burns out the fans and hurts the return gates in those cities. Um, So the days of 25 match television tapings are done. Crowd enthusiasm also generally wanes after a certain point in those long tapings, which make the television product appear lackluster. So... Basically, he he wants to he thinks that crowds get burnt out doing those super long TV tapings, so he wants the crowds on on air to appear hotter. So he's gonna to kind of you know chop up the, the tapings a bit. Have you ever sat through one of those really long tapings, Chad? I have not, thankfully. Um, I mean, I mean, even the SmackDown tapings now are pretty long because you have a SmackDown, you have a main event usually have a dark match uh, so it could be you know three and a half four hours but i can't imagine like four to six weeks of full tv yeah i mean i went to that tna one oh god knows when it was now um and it, it was it is weird to see like the same guys come out and be expected to pop for them like the fourth time and stuff i remember like uh, bully ray on that show had about like four matches right like, by the fourth time uh, okay, we've seen yeah, you now. that's enough, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, however, Hogan got a massive pop every time he came out on that particular show. So there we are. Um, anyway, um, so either that or they're going to have to cut down on the number of weekly TV uh, shows, which I wouldn't be surprised what's uh, eventually to do. So either he wants to cut the amount of TV shows or cut the length of the tapings um, and uh, increase the amount of repeated material. Um which is another possibility. Then, and I'm sure we will talk about this in a, uh, in a moment, Chad. Uh, in what will surely be the most controversial new directive, Watts has banned everything off the top rope. Uh, the theory behind the rule is that it will enable heels to get heat, a la Ray Stevens and Nick Bockwinkle in the early 1970s in the AWA, when they got incredible heat when Stevens would illegally come off the top ropes behind the referee's back, leading to pinning babyfaces. I guess the idea is to cast Bobby Eaton in the Ray Stevens role on the heel side. However, in this day and age, with fans accustomed to moves of the variety, um, of that variety with wrestlers like Ricky Steamboat and Brian Pillman, not to mention Jushin Liger and the Great Muta, eliminating all moves from the top rope is attempting to retrogress the in-ring product itself and take away what has probably been the single most universally accepted change worldwide of the past decades, which is the advent of the hot new acrobatic moves like moonsaults, Alabama jams, shooting stars, air Pillmans and the like. Uh, during the first TV show, as a way to get the rule over during the match, the Steiners versus Arn Anderson and Steve Austin, Anderson climbed the top rope and Ole Anderson immediately made him get off the top rope before he could jump. So, let's uh, pause there. Uh, this has probably been discussed over and over again. It's probably the most famous of the rules that he brought in, right? The top rope rule, Chad. Yeah, I would, I would think this is probably the most controversial and by far... And 92 would seem like the most dated that you would actually see play out on the on-air product. Um, and I, I don't see much defense of it, to be honest. It, it feels very, um, I guess, like an old man that doesn't understand that at this point in time, this is an expectation of a wrestling viewer. Yeah. And, 
I mean, his his, the way it is. his way of defending it has always been like he wasn't saying that fans wouldn't see those moves. It's just that they would be illegal, right? But at, and and another, I mean, I guess besides um, besides Eaton, though, I mean, who who else as a heel is really known for their top rope arsenal? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, Arn's got a knee drop that he can do, hasn't he? But yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it. I mean, I, I, even I would, who's not a massive fan of high flying, as you know, would have to admit that it seems to take an aspect of like Steamboat or Pillman's performance away from them. Um, because, or, or you're asking the babyface to be put in a position to cheat, which doesn't seem logical to me. So, or be stupid because their natural instinct is to go to the top rope, as we'll get to in some notes on the show. They we watched where the babyface kind of looked like an idiot or the heel when they constantly try to go to the top rope when they know uh, it's going to be a disqualification. There's there's a few instances. I mean, there's actually a good many instances on the show we watch now where that kind of came into play where you could see him trying to use the top rope as I guess a uh, a point of emphasis for a storyline development. But I will think, uh, I think in just Beach Blast 92 that we watched today, coming off the top rope or teasing coming off the top rope was only effective in one uh, instance. No, no, was uh, coming off the top rope banned in Mid South? Because I, I, I can't I don't really. Know, but I don't recall much high flyers either, though. But I'm trying to think, like, with the Fantastics and or, uh, Midnight Express and. Rock and Roll Express matches. Yeah. I can't recall if there's like a Ricky Morton crossbody or something like that. Well, the next rule is something that almost certainly wasn't banned in Mid South, and that is juice. That is in blood. Yeah. Uh, telling the boys the subject to become too controversial. Uh, what's also uh, so? There we go. Banning of juice, uh, Chad. Um, I mean, I guess this could be a TBS related as well, but. Um, you know, no high flying, no blood. <laughs> Sounds like he's trying to make wrestling pretty boring here. <laughs> yes, uh, definitely feels like he's just trying to make it kind of back, uh, back to the golden era and so like, like literally taking it back to the '60s rather than the '70s. You know. Um, anyway, Watts also addressed the subject of steroids and said that he would have to find out what TBS's policy is regarding steroids. He said if TPS doesn't want the guys on steroids, then nobody is going to be on steroids. Because if they are, they won't wrestle for WCW. And it's as simple as that. And as we've got into that, uh, subject isn't quite as easy as dealt with. Um, but we'll see how serious that is when the physiques of certain wrestlers over the next six weeks and what happens to the main eventers who continue use. So there we go. Um, yes. So there we are then. So... All in all, a thumbs up or a thumbs down for uh, for um, uh, Watts here? I'd, I'd say uh, it's very tough because I, I was sort of lenient and understanding on some of them. And I do think like the company as a whole was looking unprofessional uh, with the no-shows and all that. But, but I do think Watts pushed too hard right out of the gate. Mm. Uh, I, so I, I guess by that token, I'd have to give a thumbs down. Maybe trying to change too much too soon. Right. Which is actually, which is actually I mean, as you said, Chad, something that you actually see everywhere. 
like a new management comes in and they want to change everything. You know? Right. So, yeah, just like, they call it a revamp or a reboot, but uh, it's 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 one of those things. Especially if the person before was given bonuses or was more of a kind of employee's boss, which it it feels like Fry was to a pretty good degree. What one of the things that Melter comments on here is that he thinks that no no low blows are good because low blows are a turn off to casual fans of family audiences which seems ridiculous to me (laughs) (laughs) i mean that seems really conservative from Meltzer there uh i mean i i I can't even imagine uh, a family audience being turned off because a guy was hitting the balls i mean come on that's not it's, it's almost it's more comical to me a low blow yeah, I, I, I'd, ima- I'd imagine a little kid laughing at that, right? Yeah, it's, it's played for comedy. <laughs> I don't know. It seems really weird to me. Yeah, so, any, anyway. And he, he picks that, not blood. So, I guess the families are okay if someone's busted up and then bleeding profusely. Yeah. But... I mean, you can. I mean, Meltzer basically writes a whole essay here. I, I can't go through it all. But, um, yeah, it's just interesting to see his takes compared to what we would think now as well um anyway watts himself co-hosted wcw saturday night uh taped on uh, june the first so he's really stamping himself on on the product already um and he was proclaiming that it's the new era for wcw the real deal what's called the wwf uh, a macabre cartoon um and said that wcw wouldn't be having people throw up or be electrocuted in reference to recent angles uh, involving uh, Ultimate Warrior and Sergeant Slaughter, although of course pro wrestling's most famous electrocution was at WCW's Halloween Havoc with Abdullah, which is exactly the first thing that came into my head as I was reading that. Um, the padding on the floor was eliminated. In many states, it will be kept because of commission rules, but in those uh, states, uh, so it stays. But in the ones where it doesn't have that rule, uh, you just see the concrete. What's saying something to the effect that real wrestlers don't need a bunch of mattresses to fall onto? Uh, if that is what's his legit reason for removing the pad on the floor, then it doesn't seem justifiable and does seem to be behind the times. The padding on the floor, Chad. Sorry, we're getting to more and more things that he's changing, so... <laughs> yeah. Good or bad? Um, I don't think it's good from a conditioning standpoint. It can, it can make some impressive bumps, but... I always thought, like, I mean, they the no pads on the floor made they tried to present it as it making it look dangerous and more real, but in some way with me that always made it look more, I guess, uh, cheap. Hmm. I kind of don't know how to describe it, and maybe it's just because by this point in time I was used to the slick uh, WWF production with the you know the bright blue pads all over the floor. But uh, I, I, don't, I, I, I guess subliminally it might be like it looks like they can't afford them or something. Yeah, something yeah. aesthetically always kind of struck me about those. Yeah. Just the, just the gray kind of concrete. It was, it was a cold and sterile kind of presentation. Melter says, if it's being done because tough guys can land on concrete, that's simply being behind the times. So there we go. And he talks about injuries. Um, another step. Ole Anderson was introduced as the troubleshooting referee. His reactions were said to be slow, and his counting of pins wasn't in the least bit dramatic. But this is also his first real role as a referee, so it's way too early to make any judgment 
on his performance. Um, now, if I was Pee Wee Anderson or Nick Patrick, I wouldn't be very happy at this. <laughs> what, what, what are Ollie Anderson's uh, qualifications for getting this role? <laughs> um, other than being a tough guy after Bill Watts' own heart, I guess. Right. So, yes, um, Ole is back on the scene. Um any thoughts on Ole as the troubleshooting ref, or or even the idea of a troubleshooting ref in general? Um, having enforcers or referees, I guess okay, but I don't think Ole was a great choice. Was sort of his volatile nature. Uh, do you think it basically undermines the the normal refs though? It does, but I, I always thought like Memphis was pretty good in presenting that, where it's a legend of the business or something like that with uh, with Jackie Fargo. Um, and as long as the referee wasn't too involved in the action, I don't really have a problem with that. I, I really think they missed the boat on having a generation angle. Bill Watts and Ole Anderson versus like Marcus Bagwell or something. <laughs> do, 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 do you know what I mean? Like they could have really ramped up a kind of the kids of today, like a really two pair of really grumpy old men versus uh versus like like I don't know staying on a surfboard or something. They right. could have really they could have really done something with that, but I guess it wouldn't occur to them. Um, anyway, um, the, the that particular television taping took a place in front of eight hundred fans at center stage. Uh, Watts was uh, Jim Ross's uh, guest host. Um, Watts did a strong interview announcing several of the changes. Ole Anderson did an interview. Um, and then there were a bunch of matches. Um, there was more of an emphasis on mat work as opposed to flying moves, of course. Um, and not much else to report from this particular uh, show. Uh, only that with the new blood policy in cage matches around the horn, there was no blood in any of the cage matches, which uh, would not make our friend Will from Texas very happy. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. <laughs> so um, let's move on to the. We spent a long time on that particular right, letter, right. but well, that we'll, was that was a meaty issue. <laughs> um, so uh, let's move on. SummerSlam has happened. This is the uh, June the fifteenth. One now, and uh, WCW has booked the Charlotte Baseball Stadium with a thirty thousand capacity for the Great American Bash card. Oh, uh, okay. Um, as many of you remember, the first ever Bash uh, took place in nineteen eighty-five and drew twenty-seven thousand in the same building, headlined by Flair versus Nikita Koloff. Uh, subsequent Bashes drew in excess of fifteen thousand. Now, does that con- that does it does that actually take place uh in the charlotte baseball stadium the great american bash i want to say it doesn't but uh what do you mean the actual show yeah well i mean the pay-per-view is from albany yeah so th- th- this clearly didn't happen well says, th- this is the tour right uh, oh yeah, a Great American Bash card on yeah. seven eighteen. All oh, right, yeah, okay. okay. So they're still running the tour, are they? Yeah, they still did the Great American Bash tour. I think up to uh, like, well, this will probably be the last year. Well, did they? Did they, so this baseball stadium show ran? Did it? I, I would assume. I don't. I don't know for sure. But I mean, I mean, last year in the nineteen ninety one Great American Bash tour, that's where. Uh, we have a War Games match from the Meadowlands Arena that's on the yearbook as a handheld. Hmm. 
I, I think it's a big risk running a 30,000 seater in 1992. Yeah, I don't know what they would have drawn. Um, I guess we can probably get to it when we get there on the uh, shows. Yeah. Well, they did. Probably bombed. Most of the major talk over the past week involves the new WCW rules, as established by Bill Watts, uh, both in the memo to the wrestlers about two weeks ago and in the meeting uh, that we've just talked about. One correction to make. Uh, shows that happens uh, when people don't pay close attention uh, from what was reported here last week okay so there's a change the official company policy on blood is that watts is going to use blood however because of the higher-ups being afraid of a lawsuit by a wrestler unwilling to cut themselves and taking the company to court if they either lost their spot or their job over it watts is unable to order anyone to cut so basically you can only blade if you're willing to blade does that make sense yeah yeah um now oh god i can't believe this um okay so there are wrestlers who believe turning down the request is akin to having uh the man with the pencil erase you for the main event consideration and it was clearly stated as blading would be up to the discretion of the wrestler now i cannot believe i'm reading this um what said he didn't believe that hiv could be spread from a cut head and admittedly there isn't one case on record of hiv being spread during a bloody wrestling match so the potential of contracting AIDS has been the main argument for uh, banning blading. Now, I don't think there have been any cases of guys who got AIDS through blading, are there? Not AIDS. Um, hepatitis. Yeah, but hepatitis. And, but, but this is kind of a, the point in time here, because this is in the wake of Magic Johnson, and yeah. AIDS awareness was, AIDS was something that people now knew about, but really didn't kind of understand, or uh, it just weren't knowledgeable about so this yeah. is a direct result of that i want to say easy e had aids around this time the uh the nwa guy um not the the nwa rapper guy the producer not the uh not the wrestling alliance eric bischoff yeah um okay now, you know what i'm talking about right easy yeah, yeah, from uh, from uh from you know dr dre ice t- ice cube <laughs> from nwa uh anyway <laughs> um yes uh i'm actually surprised that there weren't more wrestlers who did get aids not from the um not from the blading part but from the sleeping around part um no no cases that i've heard of so that is a little bit surprising um so while the majority of Watts' new rules have been pretty well accepted as steps in a positive direction, and in some cases as necessary, as expected there is dispute over the rationale for removing the mats uh, in the ring arena uh, where states isn't mandated. Um, apparently Watts tried to discourage chops to the chest area, uh, a la Ric Flair, feeling that they expose the business. He favours more punches. So, um, this has been the cause for some disputes since the stiff chops a la Flair have become very popular and in some ways the loud sound effect of a stiff chop makes things uh, seem more realistic than punches with no sound effects. What about banning uh, the reverse knife edge? Uh, Chad, that seems really weird to me. Seems pretty weird. Um, I guess certainly a punch in a real fight is more realistic than a, a chop, but chops yeah. are pretty synonymous with wrestling. I'm not a fan of some of these rules, but I get the impression that there are rumours flying around as well, you know, um, that, like, the different wrestlers are telling him different things, so I don't I don't know about that one. See, it would seem weird for me to, for Watts to, to 
discouraged chops and want more punches. Although now I think of it, Mid-South was a pretty punch-heavy promotion, so maybe... Certainly a lot of punches in Mid-South, so... Um, yes, some more stuff on steroids, which I won't go into. Um, uh, Billy Graham's have, having some uh, operations, where the big boys play legend, uh, superstar Billy Graham. Um, anything else on this one? Oh, yes. Uh, Jim Ross was hired on Friday as the new colour commentator of the Atlanta Falcons for the upcoming season. Um, Ross, who will retain all his present administrative and announcing duties with WCW, will do both the pre-game and the post-game shows, uh, including a call-in show, uh, along with being the third man in the booth during the games. Are you a Falcons uh, fan, uh, Chad? I am, but the Falcons are really weird in that, uh, you know, when I grew up, was right when the Braves did their turnaround. Yeah, and uh, so so the Braves were by far the number one, and then college football is huge where I live. Uh, so Georgia football, Georgia Bulldog football, is uh, always pretty uh, pretty relatively uh, big coverage around where I'm at. So so the Falcons have kind of just gained momentum lately. So I watched them as a kid, but I wasn't as big a fan of them. I have no memory of Rawls being the commentator, but this is kind of a good one-up to Jesse, who was doing the Tampa Bay stuff. Yeah. Remember what we were talking about? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that they both had those. I, I think Jesse's just lost that gig, hasn't he? Yes. <laughs> Either yeah. this year or the last year, yeah. Um, yeah. And, of course, I remember the Freebirds uh, doing their outrageous Atlanta Brave stuff on one of those shows when they were playing up to the fans do you remember yeah that was uh halloween havoc 91 where they kept tomahawk chopping uh, so uh, chopping so uh sam houston was at the omni trying to get a job on um june the 6th um no in fact june the 7th abdullah the butcher was at the omni trying to get uh, a job in fact no <laughs> it's actually it's, it's, the way he's worded this is funny abdullah the butcher was at the omni trying and succeeding and losing a job the same night um abdullah was asked to put dustin Rhodes over clean and he made a fuss about it uh and about not being treated light and quit on the spot well i mean the mistake that you've made there is asking abdullah the butcher to put anybody over clean come on it's abdullah yeah you have to know <laughs> that's probably not gonna happen <laughs> since abdullah has a, i don't think i've ever seen abdullah the butcher pin clean um, <laughs> since Abdullah has another Japan tour booked for the month of July and is headlining in Puerto Rico it's not like he had any date booked in the first place or was actually planning on sticking around so there we go maybe Watts knew that and did it deliberately so he'd force him to walk out rather than have to fire him I guess but I guess Abdullah was working on a on a pay per appearance uh, type deal anyway I'd imagine not on a full time contract um, almost all discussion of Jake Roberts has evaporated. If he is coming in, which may or may not be the case, he isn't scheduled for the house shows as, f- uh, as far as advance has been booked, uh, which is through to the end of July. Well, we do know that Jake Roberts does come in eventually, uh, which we'll touch on when we get there. David Crockett has quit the company. So, uh, there you go. This is the end of our old friend David Crockett. Um, any, uh, f- thoughts on that? Chad? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, just sad, but it's just kind of weird that he's around this long, so. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I think he comes back though. Actually, I think he was around during like the Nitro era. I do. Th- I see. I thought he came back as a producer as well. Yeah, he must come back. Did you see that a non, that a noticeable, notable non WCW, non wrestling celebrity made the cover of the TV Guide last week? Any guesses on who that was that Melt has taken time out to mention, Chad? I have no idea. A non-WCW, non-wrestling celebrity. <laughs> non-wrestling celebrity? Yeah. Who was it? Jason Hervey. Oh, nice. <laughs> he did, you know, taking time out to mention old uh, Hervey there. <laughs> Poor Hervey. Yeah. Um, no California shows are scheduled for the foreseeable future. July dates in Los Angeles were cancelled. Um, there was some heat with the forum over the cancellation. Since they asked WCW to get the ring, they were storing up the forum out of the building. Um, it appears they're going to ter- target certain cities uh, that have the best television ratings and run them more frequently and to stay out of cities that don't have strong television outlets. Um, in those cities, they are going to run angles at the house shows to lead to the next shows. Um, and talk in the localized magazine segments about events. So you can see what is trying to like be cost-effective here, cut down right. un- unnecessary trips and so on. And uh, some of that is actually just common sense management, I think. You know, some of the stuff he's trying to do. Um, so there we go. Um, uh, oh, by the way. Advance for the twentieth uh, of June beach blast in Mobile, Alabama, is pretty weak, with approximately nine hundred tickets sold less than two weeks before showtime. Only uh, early line predictions are that the company will be happy with the buy rate if it stays the same as the last one, and Steamboat and Rude may tear the house down in the main event. So nine hundred tickets as an advance for a beach blast. Ugh. That's pretty brutal. Um, anyway, last one I'm going to look at, June the 22nd, um, and, uh, some of the stuff I'm not mentioning going on elsewhere, um, you know, this is where the big boys play, not between the sheets, so we're only doing WCW, but, uh, the, uh, World Bodybuilding Federation is kind of around at this time, um, Luger's, uh, Luger's just had his motorcycle accident, so that's what's kind of happening over there, um, Vince is trying to launch this WBF thing. Um, in fact, he's already launched it, but it's not going that well. Um, yeah, and I'm almost positive uh, this is right when WBF did their pay-per-view, right? It is, I, yeah, yeah. I, I would bet uh, some pretty hefty uh, dollars that once Bix and Chris get to that week next year, uh, between the sheets, they'll do 92. Yeah, um, because... Uh, Luger had his Luger had his motorcycle accident. The WBF uh, pay per view was happening, and um, yeah, it seems like a good bet that they do this week. Right. Anyway, um, this is one of the biggest weeks of the year for WCW, with the Clash being taped on Tuesday night. And uh, we should mention that now. Actually, some people may be wondering why we're doing Beach Blast and not the Clash. Well, what's the reasoning, Chad? Yeah, I- this is. <sighs> This is one of the WCW, most WCW things that happens is, so I guess the Clash was taped on Tuesday, mm-hmm. this show is on a Saturday, Beach Blast, and then they're doing the Clash airing on a Monday. So the show's taped, but we're 
basing it on the uh, viewer schedule. Yeah, so the clash happened on the 16th. The pay-per-view that we're reviewing happened on the 20th. But the clash didn't air until the 22nd. Right. And in the chronology of the storyline, that happens after this show. So uh, that's basically the rationale for it. Um, which kind of, th- I mean, this is around the time where you have those weird phantom switches and all sorts of nonsense going on, uh, because they're so far in advance with their with their TV, right? So yeah, but this one's one of the worst, where you really have one major show tape before another major show, but airing after. Yeah, and I did have a thought about doing that Clash and Great American Bash all in one, Chad, because it's all one tournament. Right. Uh, but we can talk about that later, I guess. Okay. Sure. <laughs> um. So the pay-per-view is going to be a difficult sell, but on paper it looks like it will be an entertaining show. Uh, although we can point to factors such as the downtrend in pay-per-view wrestling of late, the lack of killer interest main event and coming the day after the Holmes-Holyfield fight, which has a $37 list price and is being extremely well promoted. $37.92 is quite a lot for a yeah, that, fight, isn't it? seems fine, but I mean, boxing fight prices are outrageous. How much are they now? Well, I mean, Mayweather Pacquiao was a hundred bucks. Oh, that's ridiculous! For Come on. Reviews, so. I don't understand what boxing gets away with that. Uh, anyway, um, so it would Melter thinks it was a mistake to attempt three pay per views in such a short period. Uh, for whatever is to be said about Bill Watts, it does seem pretty clear that decisions such as those won't be made in the future. With the gap between the Bash and Halloween Havoc. Um, is going to be leave ample time to build up attraction worthy of a pay-per-view rather than creating a pay-per-view card without a worthy attraction. And um, it's weird how some of these issues kind of um, go to so many of the talking points that we've heard over the years. You know, too many pay-per-views. How many times have you heard that one? So right. it's just funny that we're running into so many of them. Um, if the Clash does anything but the lowest rating in the history of the Clash series, it would be taken as a major success. So, th- so there we go. Um, but I mean, these are really like it's so weird, Chad. The distinction between the high quality of the product that we get in '92 and the terrible box office that they were yeah, doing. The business, I know. It's quite a contrast. Uh, I would say, though, if I was trying to get a company up and drawing, I'm not sure if a tag tournament would be the way to do it. No. So, anyway, we can talk about that next time. Um, The new era for WCW started on uh, Saturday television. Uh, Watts introduced himself. He had a mixed... uh, Meltzer himself had a mixed reaction to the first episode. On the positive fan uh, side, he said, as a long-term fan... It was uh, had some nice nostalgia to hear Watts commentate on the matches, as he did in the old uh, Mid-South promotion in the early 80s. Uh, Watts has always been one of the best announcers, if not the best, at dramatically getting across angles in a believable manner. Um, even, and he was even able to make some very unbelievable ideas look and come across as realistic. On the downside, there was a feeling about uh, how much wrestling has changed since that time, with Watson and Ole Anderson doing those early in the show interviews, only made it too obvious how cutting a play- believable promo has become a lost art form. So there we go. A bit of wrestling was better better in my day stuff there. Um, which is funny to look back on now, because many people would point back to 92 as being a high point <laughs> from a 2015 perspective. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, um, 
was definitely from in-ring. Yeah, but see, I'd have thought the promos from 92 were perfectly fine. But uh, how cutting a believable promo has become a lost art form. I guess they're talking about the credibility that Watts and Ole Anderson bring. And I do think they're a different style of promo than what you get later in the 80s and so on. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Different, uh, not as, I guess, grainy. On the other side, um, by no means was this first show more gripping or exciting than any other wrestling television show of late. Of course, it's, ridic- it's ridiculous to expect a whole giant turnaround on the first show, but there were too many references to too, too many things too far in the past. Uh, while Watts probably uh, has fond personal memories of big houses that he helped to draw in Atlanta during the 1980s and the traditions of pro wrestling in Atlanta, the fact is TBS is not a local Atlanta station anymore and the vast majority of viewers not only don't know about the 1970s, but even if they did, more importantly, they aren't living in Atlanta. And the vast majority uh, of viewers... Um, sorry, the vast majority of the period that Watts headlined in Atlanta was well before TBS was on satellite, but it was uh, a first show, and Watts probably felt he needed to establish a tie-in to better days of the past. And this is one of those things that I do think Vince had right, Chad. That Vince understood that the that the mainstream TV audience had no clue about wrestling history, and uh, I actually think he's right on that. That I mean, you could say Vince acted for many years like wrestling history didn't exist. But he understood that you needed to introduce fans to to guys. You needed to introduce them to characters. And I don't think what's going on there and talking about like early 70s Atlanta shows is doing anybody any favors. Would you agree? <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I agree with that, that a nod to history is fine, but dwelling on it is too much. Yeah. Um, and in fact, yeah, yeah, another one of those things that people talk about now that the WE probably dwell too much on the past now. Um, oh, uh, uh, yeah, that's kind of weird because they, I guess, in some regards they do, but in some regards they don't. Like they push their past performers so highly, but in other ways, like you'll never hear, you'll never hear instances of if this is the third match in a three-match series. The commentary won't team won't touch on you know in the previous encounter this is how this match ended or so forth. Right. So it's kind of a weird. So short term history that didn't do very well. Right. It's it's just you know the Undertaker has two decades of destruction or whatever. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know. My my perception is if if I was a if I was a twelve year old kid now, I'd be like constantly cheering about how great Stone Cold was. And how, like, Stone Cold's basically better than anything happening now, type thing. That, that would be my perception, but maybe I'm being uh, too harsh on WE there. But it, it does seem, from the outside looking in, as somebody who doesn't watch that often, it feels like they, they really ram that Attitude Era down. Like, yeah. they, they, they still point to it as a high point, you know? Yeah, I mean, they certainly have certain stars that are nostalgic that are pushed higher than anyone else. That's up and coming. Hmm. Okay. Um, any anything else in this one? Um, I think we're we're just about there. Um, there's some controversy going into the Clash tournament. Uh, the newest edition of WCW magazine on the back page has a full page ad for the 712 pay per view show 
listing the eight teams in the tag team tournament. But the magazine hits the stand on 6-16, the day of the clash. But it'll be on the stands for close to one week before the clash itself actually airs. In addition, subscribers received the magazine this past week. From what I'm told, and we'll find out, they are going to change some of the finishes. So the ad will wind up being incorrect, but they'll have surprises. For those who haven't seen the magazine, the winners are listed as the Steiners, uh, going over Miguelito Perez and El Barica. Is it, it's not that El Barica, Chad, is it? It is. It's that El Barica. Making, no. I don't, <laughs> I don't know who that is. Uh, Brian Pillman and Jushin Liger over Chris Benoit and Biff Wellington. Uh, Steve Williams and Terry Gordy over the ODs. Uh, Ricky Steamboat and Nikita Koloff over Joe and Dean Malenko. Uh, Hase and Nagami over the Headhunters. The Silver Kings, who are they? Uh, over the Freebirds. Uh, Dustin Rhodes and uh, Barry Windham over Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton. Rick Rude and Steve Austin over Marcus Bagwell and Tom Zenk. Uh, actually, the only result that looks changeable is the Silver Kings match, which I figured would end up being changed anyway, and they could have split, uh, split up Pillman and Liger and put... Uh, uh, Benoit and Wellington over but I can't see any uh, results being changed so uh, I, I can't remember offhand who wins those matches um, no me either so so uh, yeah we'll see how uh, oh I can't I can't I can't wait to watch that tag tournament Chad Christ um, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> I mean not too much of a spoiler but it bought like uh, Great American Bash 92 it bored me rigid uh, last time I sat through it but uh, we'll see maybe I've changed um, it, it appears like Jake Roberts isn't coming in anytime soon. Apparently, they aren't close on contract terms, as Roberts uh, was going to be offered a heavy-duty guarantee by Kip Frey, whereas Bill Watts wants a more incentive-oriented deal, <laughs> uh, which sounds about right. Um, oh, and a correction from last week's Observer. David Crockett definitely is still working for the company. Okay, there so th- there was the confusion that we had. Um, oh, speaking of which, uh, Sid uh, has been calling both WF and WCW about returning when the summer is over. Now, is this the period where he was working in Memphis? Of no, all places? I, no he, I guess he was doing his softball. Because right. um, at WrestleMania 8, he leaves and doesn't do much of anything. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess when he originally signed with WWF, I don't know if he had a year contract or what. Um, but that would be over. But yeah, I mean, the next place he comes in is WCW for a major promotion. But Watts has said many times publicly that he's not interested. So <laughs> there we go. Um, that seems to be like leaving money on the table. But then again, I don't know if Sid ever drew. No, yeah, not really. One of those guys who's weirdly over with live crowds, but doesn't translate into box office yeah. in my mind. Uh, Bill Watts is said to be interested in Gary Albright from uh, UWFI. Gary Albright, Chad, uh, yeah. in WCW in 1992. Somebody you would hate. Um, less charismatic <laughs> Dr. Death. <laughs> yeah, I, I've uh, I've seen uh, one or two Gary Albright matches in my time. Yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot y'all did. Uh, well, did you see, have you watched the Kawada match, or is that coming up? I ha- I've watched it, but it's uh, we weren't able to record uh, all Japan Excite series, so that's coming up soon. Okay, so the infamous Albright-Kawada match. Yeah, which is uh, meant to be the one great example of Kawada's range. 
So that yeah, pre- pretty much uh, what people point to is Kawada's broomstick match in some ways. I mean, Gary Albright was capable, but I, mm. I, th- I think he was all right, but not one of my favorites for sure. Yes. Um, and because of money losing, uh, because of losing money on uh, live shows, uh, what's said he's going to concentrate on these towns? Atlanta, Chicago, Jacksonville, Baltimore, St. Petersburg, Philadelphia, and Kansas. They're thinking about running those as much as every month. Um, with uh, program fees running from one house show to the next, like the old days. It seems and, solid. Yeah, I mean, they need to establish some sort of loop, and that seems like... A, I mean, I think of uh, Baltimore being a strong WCW town. Yeah, yeah. Town. Overall, Baltimore has probably been one of the better WCW towns, period. I guess Kansas. I mean, Central States is long gone. Yeah. um, Open area. Philly's kind of always been a bit of both, hasn't it? Um, Yeah, Philly's been shared, but Philly was going through a lot of transition at this time, and you were starting to see... Promotions run there. Joel Goodhart's TWA, uh, ECW was starting to form. So it, it seemed definitely like a market everyone tried to get into for some reason or another. I would, I would, I'm surprised by the lack of Greensboro on there, to be honest. Uh, do you expect, you know, the Carolinas are still there, bread and butter, and they're not, you know, not represented. They do, uh, I, I think. Honestly, more southeast. It may, it may have been more regional, but then I, I, I guess re, regrouping and gaining back your core, and then you can think about expanding. To me, sounds like a, a solid plan. Yeah, I mean, uh, Saint Petersburg's uh, one of those old Florida towns, one of the Eddie Graham traditional towns, you know. Right. Um, anyway, so uh, let's get on to the review, shall we? Oh, before before that chat, of course. Uh, some advertisements. <laughs> Let's listen to some of the great shows here on the Place to Be Nation. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of the Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. Place to be nation.com. The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Place Me Nation's Justin Rosero here. In addition to The Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes and PlaceToBeNation.com. You can check out Scott Criscolo and me on The Mothership, The Place To Be Podcast, home of great interviews and our famous vintage vault pay-per-view reviews. If you need your fix of current wrestling talk, we have plenty of options for you, including Main Event, which features a roundtable discussion led by PTBN analysts and special guests, and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows, including immediate feedback and discussion for WWE, NXT, Ring of Honor, and New Japan Super Shows. Also, be sure to relive wrestling's past with Graham Cawthon's excellent exclusive History of Wrestling podcast, Phil Schneider's Digging in the Crates, and our monthly pay-per-view rewind roundtable series led by Ben Morse. And join Pro Wrestling Only's Will and I on the Dangerous Alliance podcast as we dive into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. Sports fans have plenty to enjoy as well. We featured the Sports Evolution Mega Show with Scott, Dr. G, Cowboy, and Cowboy Sr., the Kings of Sport, led by Live Audio Wrestling's godfather, Nate Milton, as well as the NBA Team Podcast, which takes a year-round deep dive into pro hoops, and the TJ McLoon Show, featuring great guests from around the world of sports journalism. PTBN also proudly features the Richard the Mailman Podcast, specializing in the world of TV, thought, leadership, anger, and irreverence. 
As mentioned, all these shows available on PlaysToBeNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. PTBN also is a home to tremendous in-depth features on pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments, and more. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, Scott Keats, RSPWFAQ.com blog, and Piledriver.net. Do you watch pro wrestling? Do you love pro wrestling? We do too. And there's only one podcast feed that you can't miss. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. That's the pro wrestling only place to be nation podcast network. We have a host of brilliant shows dedicated to wrestling past and present. Whether it's the territories, Japan, Lucha, old school or new school, we've got something for you. Get a dose of history on Exile on Bad Street with Chris Zelna. Listen to reviews of current pay-per-views on the PTBN reaction shows. Not just WWE, but New Japan, Ring of Honor, and NXT. And get your weekly update on everything else that's going on in the indies, Lucha, and beyond on This Week in Wrestling. Relive WCW Supercards on Where the Big Boys Play with Parv and Chad. Join Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave on one of the very best shows for super hardcore nerds wrestling culture. Go deep into WWF history and discover the Bob Backlund and Bruno Sammartino eras on Titans of Wrestling. Don't miss the Pro Wrestling Super Show with Stephen Graham and Tim Livingston. You can get the full archive of Goodwill Wrestling with good old Will from Texas. There's tag teams back again with Kelly and Marty Sleaze. Then there's the only pro wrestling game show, Brain Buster, with me, Johnny Sorrow, and a panel of great guests every time. Get them all on one feed. P-W-O-P-T-B-N. Podcast Network. You know you want to hear it. Beach Blast 92 then, Chad. Uh, We start off with uh, Tony Schiavone. Uh, and sexy, sexy Eric Bischoff. <laughs> what a shirt. <laughs> and they're both wearing uh, some uh, horrendous shirts here. And there with Bill Watts. Uh, Hook him up, he says. Now, I, I quite like his tough guy, legit philosophy and his legit kind of persona. Uh, what do you make of him here? Do you think he would connect with the fans here? Well, I mean, this this is a, not a bad greeting, I guess. He's authoritative, certainly. He definitely has a presence to him. Um, I, I, I thought Tony was kind of surprisingly not dressed for the occasion. <laughs> I mean, he's wearing like a light blue polo golf shirt, but, you know, he usually embraces these concepts, as we'll see with some of his Halloween Havoc attire. Yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, he, he didn't really get into the spirit of it here. Yeah, this was a bad night for him. Bischoff. I mean- Sean Mooney would have been right in there. He'd have been. He'd have been. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah, so they talk about some stuff. Um, yeah, not much. I mean, this is just like, welcome to the show. Here's what you're going to see. Yeah, I mean, if you're Tony, you're probably a little bit pissed off that he's relegated to this. Still uh, agree with that, especially uh, as we go to the next the uh, introduction of the announcers. Well, uh, we go over to Jim Ross in a terrible Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, um, and Jesse uh, is on the beach, not on the actual beach, but on like a mock-up stage of a beach, uh, surrounded by women. Uh, what do you think of all this business here? Well, a couple things. First, this made me really miss pay-per-view sets in general, because mm-hmm. I thought this was a fun pay-per-view set with the beach. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know what show you're watching based on looking at the set Hmm. where now 
in WWE right now, really WrestleMania is the only set that looks different. Uh, I, I, I always I feel like they, I always feel like they make SummerSlam at least feel summery in the promo packages and stuff. But that is that would be the only other show and Royal Rumble, of course, because of the gimmick. But really, most of the pay per views have no character at all. Right, and the actual sets are the same. They're just you have your Titan Tron and your yeah, that just says Royal Rumble. Like there's no yeah. custom designed. It's cookie, um, cookie, cookie cuts out. Yeah, they've stopped doing that a few years ago, and I think it's really a detriment. Uh, so, so that was cool. But again, Jesse here, I thought this was very gratuitous. Mm. Um, I mean, on the beach with four women, he gets pyro again. Has to have his own introduction. It's, it's, it's a little much for I, I, an announcer. I, I think it's because they're just paying him so much that they feel like they need to make a big deal. I don't know. I, I can't never decide whether it's that or it's just Jesse's ego like demanding these things. See, I wasn't sure about like if this is in like I don't think of Jesse as a ladies' man in particular. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't know if this part of his character or not. But, uh, well, this he was certainly more, uh, I guess, horn dog oriented in this show than he <laughs> usually is. Shades of uh, shades of like Jerry Lawler '97. Right. Thing. right. <laughs> um, anyway, where is Gary Michael Capessa? I ask. Who is this <laughs> ring announcer? It is a man called Terry Gillen, Chad. Yes. Um, and uh, I am reliably informed by our friend Chris Elner that he was a local Georgia guy who did all of the Georgia tapings, Georgia shows in general. Um, so apparently Capetta had the night off and uh, we, we get uh, Gillen here. And Ross does actually name check him at one point as well. Terrible little Weasley moustache is my only uh, note on him. Yeah, uh, I guess they were uh, didn't want to bring back Rhubarb Jones. <laughs> Uh, who did that one class? Who? Oh, I got a, a quick antidote part. Rhubarb Jones is friends with my brother. Really? Yes, my brother is a newspaper editor, and Rhubarb Jones has a column in the newspaper on uh, Sundays. What does he? What does he do now? Well, he's still a DJ, but uh, just does like a basic comment. I think it's like the world according to Rhubarb or something. It's one of those sort of. <laughs> from my vantage point type articles. Can, can you remember what show he uh, was the announcer it, for? It was The Clash. I think it was the one in Gainesville, Georgia. So, um, Dixie Dynamite, maybe. That sounds right. But yeah, like on my brother's birthday, I saw that Rhubarb posted on his Facebook wall, and so I sent him a <laughs> frantic text message asking if he knew him. Well, there we go, Rhubarb yeah. Jones. A shout out to Rhubarb Jones there. Little uh, where the big boys play tie in there. Yeah. Um, now, yes, and I want to say Capetta may have been like temporarily not with the company at this point, but uh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't know either. Whether it was just they didn't want to travel, probably cost cutting, didn't want to fly him in. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if we turned up late and what's uh, suspended him or something. You know, Cause I know I know Capetta c- could. I don't know. Like he could get funny sometimes with uh, backstage stuff. Every once in a while, you know. Um, to be continued. I will look into where Capetta was uh, in June of '92. Not mentioned by Meltzer. Um, 
anyway, Pillman uh, versus Scotty Flamingo now. Flying Brian is defending his title um, in the opener. And I, I quite like this period, Chad, because basically Brian Pillman is almost always in the opener. So um, what did you make of him against Scotty Flamingo? And uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Scotty Flamingo would go on to do other things in his career, wouldn't he? Yes, uh, so he's Raven, Johnny Polo. Um, This is an opener I had conflicting thoughts on. I like the opening mat work and the arm work Pillman executed, but uh, I I thought the transition to Flamingo on offense was really weak. Mm -hmm. And this is the first instance of the top rope that I didn't like because to me, Pillman climbs to the top rope, which makes him look dumb. And then he just gets shoved off, and that transitions to Flamingo on top. And I thought uh, Scotty Flamingo on top was pretty uninspiring stuff, not focused. Uh, There wasn't a lot going on there. We go to the finishing stretch, which was pretty heated. And I did like the spot that kind of created the finish, where Flamingo's on the ramp, and Flying Brian goes for his dive from the ring to the ramp. And his head bounces right off the top of the ramp. It's a really nasty spot. Yeah. Uh, that looked brutal. But then Flamingo rolls him into the, or he comes back into the ring, and Flamingo comes off the second rope with a knee to the rib cage, or they say the small of the back, which made no sense because he didn't hit. There was no damage done to that. Uh, and then Flamingo pins him off of that move. So I thought that was a really weird finish after a great spot. I was expecting, like, maybe a DDT or, you know, something with impact on top of the head to get that over um, instead of just the knee to the back uh, from the second rope. So I ended up giving this match in one of the – this is kind of my classic rating for a match that I like a lot of parts of it but didn't kind of come together as a whole match for me, and that's two and three-quarter stars. Well, um, I liked it a tiny bit more than you, uh, in so much as I didn't particularly mind anything that Flamingo was doing. It was kind of just there. Um, I thought it was, you know, there was a lot of map-based stuff in this, and it was noticeable, I thought. It was like, okay, they're working a slightly older style here, which, um, actually Pillman works the map more than you'd think he does anyway. Like, I, I thought that in the Liger match, even. That they, that they did stuff on the map more than you'd expect. Um, and I thought it kind of moved up to the to the big bombs and the maneuvers at the end. In a way, in a, I always kind of like to see that crescendo sort of structure uh, in matches where, okay, if you're going to do match stuff, at least make it move then to doing bombs towards the end of the match. So it generally followed that, but really I think... Um, I gave it three stars. Didn't have a you know solid enough type thing. Um, wouldn't go out of my way to watch it. Um, I do think though it's an absolutely shocking decision on the booking front, which we have to touch on because Pillman, like we've seen him stall so many times when he seems to be going places, and at this point he really seemed to me to be establishing like a real niche there as the light heavyweight champion. Okay. He's not going to be pushed in the main event, but he's going to give you a really great opener. Um, he's going to defend that belt with pride. And then they put bloody Flamingo over. I couldn't believe that. I just think it's just like, if you if I'm a fan in 1992, how am I then going to take Pillman seriously the next week after he's lost to bloody Scotty Flamingo? 
Right. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I guess to, <laughs> I guess it was to get over the new guy, but uh, I, I, oh. put him over Bagwell, <laughs> or put him over. You know, don't well, put him he, over. He did go over Bagwell, did he, in the last match? Oh, right. Yeah. But Perfect. don't put him over. Don't sacrifice Brian Pillman to get Scotty Flamingo over. Yeah. Seems, you know, it just seems stupid to me. Uh, put him over. What's Ricky Morton doing? <laughs> He's probably left by now. But do you know what I mean? Though it's just, it's just, I don't know. Bad. I think it's a bad decision. Um, I guess does Pillman get that belt back anytime soon? I think they actually retire that belt around this time. Uh, I mean, it was just getting going. Yeah, it. it uh. Well, I mean, kind of a casualty of the Watts era with nobody coming off the top rope. But he he put it over in the first. In his first opening spiel, he was like, "Yeah, I always took the junior heavyweight, the, the oh. junior title." Do you remember when he put her over? Yeah. Did... So get this: Brad Armstrong beats Scotty Flamingo. Flamingo right. only had it for 15 days, and then it stripped, um, and it, the idea was abandoned. So I don't, I don't know. It's just to me, it's another missed opportunity with Pillman. Um, I mean, I guess. He has his heel turn coming up at some point um, with the Hollywood Blonde stuff. Yeah, but like that's quite still quite far away, isn't it? Um, dude, yeah, a few months. A few months. You're I don't starting know. to see some of his attitude changes. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I still think that uh, they could have done more with Pillman, even after he his main push was messed up by the yellow dog stuff and all that. Like he, they, they they rebuilt him again, and now they dropped the ball again with him. So I don't know, just frustrating to to watch play out because uh, Pillman's been a guy who's really impressed me on these shows. Um, anyway, we go now to a bikini contest uh, hosted by Johnny B. Bad. Um, so Chad, I, I want to play a little game here. Uh, so basically. Uh, we get three of these bikini contests throughout the show, and basically uh, we get Missy Hire and Medusa come out in various different stages of undress. <laughs> uh, yeah. Here, here in the first one, they're both basically fully dressed. Uh, who do you go with, Missy or Medusa? If you had to vote on the hotline, who who would you be voting for? As far as the uh, the the uh, evening gown portion. Yeah, just the evening gowns. I see. Like when Missy first came out, I I figured this might happen. Um, so I and then just uh, round one, I would go with Missy. I didn't kind of get the whole wedding outfit motif. Mm. Uh, maybe more creative, but was not a fan. Interesting, Chad, because I went with Medusa. Yeah. So interesting. It's one 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 so far. <laughs> um, so let's move on from that. Uh, a good use of Johnny B. Bad. He's a guy who could, maybe he could have put Scotty Flamingo over. Yeah, that's true, and that actually would have been kind of an interesting feud with him as a face. Um, mm. That that's probably what should have happened. Uh, Did, yeah, I mean, not a bad use. And um, Jesse on commentary was absolutely uh, dismayed that he was not MC in the tournament. The tournament, yeah. <laughs> Um, yes, th- that would be one of the recurring tropes of the show that Jesse feels he should have been the host of the bikini contest. He even said at one point, I'm not even sure if Johnny B. Bad likes women. Right. 
Uh, so outright just saying it. Um, and I can't remember, Chad. Did we talk about Flamingo and Raven before uh, when he when he when he wrestled uh, Bagwell? Uh, because he is a guy who is a bit of a mystery to me. Um, because I listened to his psychology uh, shoots like years ago, and if you listen to him talk, he's somebody who seems to understand wrestling, wrestling psychology. He talks a good game. But does he ever put it together? Like, anywhere... Like, I don't think I've ever seen a match of his that I've thought, yeah, that guy really knows what he's doing. Yeah, to me, he doesn't. But some people are big fans. So, I don't know. Like, it's weird. Like, he clearly gets wrestling psychology. Like, I mean, I'm pretty sure that those terms that we use all the time, shine, uh, heat, and all of that sort of stuff, the very first time I heard those terms was on that shoot that he did years and years ago uh when he was talking about the art i don't know what they call it the art of wrestling i want to say jake roberts did a few of them as well Mm -hmm. do do you remember those shoots i mean maybe yeah i mean i never watched them but i know he did them on like the it was like secrets of the ring or something yeah it was those and those were the first those the first times i really hear those kind of technical terms that we we use all the time now um and uh so clearly he gets it, but I don't know. Just never seems like he showed absolutely no understanding of psychology in that match that we just watched, for example. So anyway, um, it's the Taylor it's the Taylor made man, Terry Taylor, um, uh, who's uh, I would say basically broken as a wrestler by this point, taking on Ron Simmons. Um, and uh, right out of the gate, you could pretty much know what's going to happen here. Uh, what do you reckon? Yeah, this this again, Taylor Made Man feels like a complete ripoff of Ted DiBiase, and here he's treated like a jobber. I mean, Simmons pretty much squashes him. I don't think there's much to this match at all. I, I went a star. I, I mean, I, there was just nothing. I, I was kind of surprised at how much Taylor did get squashed. Yeah, I mean, one one of the things that I'll say about Taylor is during this run. He was clearly putting in some effort, I, th- I thought, in his performances. Even here, where he's basically just putting over on Simmons. I felt he did actually try to make something of it. Weird, because it's basically, Chad, he's done, isn't he? Yeah, this is pretty much it. I mean, he goes to WWF uh, really soon after this. and then As a, as a booker, though, right? As a, as well, a... he still performs a little bit in early 93. Was he terrific, Terry Taylor? Yes, Mm. It just just seemed like a guy who was just completely killed by the Red Rooster thing and by Dusty hating him and just never, like, I don't know, his career really nosedived. And I wonder if it was just a waste. Like, he was, he, he looked like he could still probably do something, but he was just in no man's land. Right. Yeah. Basically, I mean, basically retired by nobody wanting to do anything with him. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting career, I guess, overall, because I never think of him as extraordinary, but he can certainly be a bit player. Um, but yeah, this is pretty much the end of the road as far as him as, as an in-ring competitor. Like, okay, I'm just going to... I don't want to dwell on Taylor too long, and I'm and trust me, I'm not a fan of his. Like, um, I've seen the Mid-South stuff and stuff, and I was never turned around. I always thought he was pretty bland, to be honest, even in even in some of that stuff. Um, but 
how about Terry Taylor as the fourth horseman instead of Paul Roma? What? Like, would he could have slot into that little role, couldn't he? Yeah, but <laughs> anybody could have slid into that role better than Paul Roma. But you know, he could have made a decent little yeah, tattoo. Yeah, I mean, there's on a and... point, but I, I don't know. Just just uh... I guess I've I've never been Terry Taylor to me has always been like if he's on your roster, you're not offended, but you're not ecstatic. And that's always how it felt watching him. They they could have made the Money Inc. 2 with Terry Taylor and IRS. What do you reckon about that? Oh, <laughs> The world's most boring tag team. VK Wall Street and the tailor-made man. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, after the match, Ron Simmons... Uh, oh, my rating, by the way, was... Uh, I gave it one and a half. So. Okay, yeah. Quite, quite generous. Um, <laughs> Ron Simmons uh, cut, cuts a promo straight out of the Bill Watts school of rugged individualism here. I mean, you could basically see that Watts had written this promo, I thought, because it was really about, like, you know, I am an American, I am, and it's all about doing it yourself and, you know, taking responsibility and just seemed like a like a like one of Bill Watts' right-wing rants in the form of a promo, so... Uh, did you enjoy it? <laughs> I, th- I thought it was pretty good, actually, to show some personality. I mean, Simmons is someone that's sort of been spinning his wheels since the challenge versus Luger at mm-hmm. Havoc 91. So this seemed to give him some sort of direction. He, he certainly seems to be ramping up in terms of a push here. And um, probably the best promo we've seen from him so far that right. I can remember. Um, and, I mean, good to have give guys some mic time because that was one of the things that we've missed off some of these shows this guy is actually being you know given an opportunity to talk um anyway greg valentine uh now uh this is the first time he's coming in no he was on the uh, tag in wrestle war he was on in attack okay well valentine's still hanging around and uh he is taking on marcus alexander bagwell and I've just written in my notes here, wow, this is an interesting matchup, a contrast of styles and eras, uh, or some kind of grizzled veteran versus fresh-faced, wet-behind-the-ears rookie dynamic. What do you make of this one? Yeah, I thought, um, I don't know, I thought Valentine in this match looked pretty mundane, like he'd rather be anywhere else, but but is he... He was kind of stoic in a way, though, too, so I, I couldn't quite figure it out, but... Uh, uh, another pretty simple match. It it felt kind of more like a main event match than a pay per view match. But um, I did I did like the focus that was brought on the leg of Bagwell that would pay off with the figure four. And I thought when Bagwell was able to get in some fire, uh, he looked fine. Um, so so overall, I mean, I enjoyed this. I went two stars. I mean, a two star match, but. Um, not not bad, and I uh, did I did at least like the focus on the leg being paid off with the finish with the figure four. I I, I like this match a good bit more than you, Chad. I, I think it was a little gem, to be honest, a little hidden gem on this uh, on this show, uh, because Valentine goes to work, targets the leg, and uh, I love the story that they were going for here. You know, he's just got too much ring smarts and experience for the youngster, making him tap out to the figure four. Um, and I was a little bit surprised. Were you a bit surprised that Valentine went over here at all? Um, not really. I mean, Bagwell was still pretty uh, established as a, a straight-up-and-comer. I, I don't know. I'd have kind of been... Maybe if they wanted to do the upset role, but I'm not 
I wasn't surprised, I would say. Well, I I really enjoyed it. I thought the psychology was spot on here, and I went three and a half on it. So oh, that's uh, that's a large rating. That's a large rating. For, I I really I thought it was a really cool little match, kind of awesome, unique really? little. It was quite unusual in the overall scheme of things. This may seem blasphemous to you, Parv, but I've uh, watched a, a good bit of indie wrestling lately that'll start cropping up in the new year on uh, Place <laughs> to Be Nation as a project I'm going with. Yeah. And uh, to me, there's there's a lot of these matches littered in it that kind of focus on a leg work and do it better, which may seem weird. Um, yeah thinking in the modern era with kickouts and stuff like that but there's there's a good many seven to eight mat, uh, minute matches where they start focusing on a body part and they're pretty effective so right well i, I, I mean i thought this was decent but nothing i mean maybe i've overreacted and it was just that i wasn't expecting anything out of this match at all and it actually had some element of surprise right. so maybe maybe it should be more like three stars and three and a half now that i think about it but like that was just my enthusiasm coming into play, I guess. There you go. Uh, so um, anyway, um, next match is quite a famous one. It's Cactus Jack versus Sting, um, and this is one of those matches for some reason where you ask the question, "Does it hold up?" Now I don't know why that is. Why? Why is that question asked of this match rather than certain other matches? Why do I, I'm kind of, what do you mean kind of by that? Well, the people ask, well, th- does this match hold up? And, I mean, typically I see people say it does hold up. But, what, like, why is that question asked in particular of this one? Is well, it I because think, of this? I, I mean, I think this match, the reason it's got its reputation, I mean, it was highly rated by Meltzer when it came out. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think definitely Foley saying it was his favorite match till Mind Games and one of his two to three favorite matches of his career is what gained its really notoriety uh, overall. Yeah. Um, and... Just quickly, Chad, I, I, I forgot I forgot to do this again. Um, he gave, uh, Meltzer gave Flamingo versus Pillman two and three quarters. He gave Simmons, Taylor Made Man two. He gave uh, Bagwell and Valentine one and three quarters. There you so go. that's me, where he's going. Me and Dave are agreeing tonight. <laughs> um, so, so this match, though, I, I'm, I think this match, if you just watch it, because I want to think this match was in our top 100 for matches you need to watch on the network before you die. Um, and if you watch it in the confines of that, it's not very exciting, I guess you could say. Um, but, uh, but I do think in the confines of the other stuff where you're not seeing, uh, you're not seeing matches go to the outside based on the direction of Watts that it does, uh, resonate a little bit better because you, yeah, it was actually number 63 on that list. Uh, so, so it does have some pretty brutal elements with the, uh, suplex on the outside, the back body drop. Cactus Jack takes to the outside that makes it look different from the show we've seen so far, which is very kind of in-ring technically oriented. So that helps it. As an overall match, though, I'd rank it as a very good match. It's a 12-minute brawl. I like their submit and surrender match a little bit better, but I had that one ranked at three and three-fourths. 
Uh, so by comparison, I ended up ranking this one at three and a half now. It is a kind of, I guess, good climax to the Cactus Jack Sting feud, I think, that had been raging for uh, about eight months now. But uh, they could have, I mean, no blood, I think, kind of hurts this to some degree. The strikes aren't quite there, and the intensity is maybe a tick below what you may want to hope for in a, a violent blow-off style match. So all of those things, I mean, still very good, but I don't quite get the cult or amazing status that is sometimes presented with the rating of this match. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, Meltzer gave it four and a half. Right. Uh, so he was clearly very impressed with uh, what was going on. Um, one of the things that uh, he mentions, and we forgot to mention, is that this is Falls Count Anywhere on the Gulf Coast. Well, they didn't really go very far down the Gulf Coast here, no. did they? <laughs> yeah, that was... I don't know why they would say that. Just kind of, I guess, is a clever name, but they probably should have just said it's Falls Count Anywhere in the arena. Um, and actually, I thought right before this match, I thought it was a hindrance that they showed a clip of the Cactus Jack Van Hammer match that yeah. showed them in like the rodeo. Because regardless of what you think about that match, that match did spill out into like a cool setting, and yeah. this didn't come close to that. So I thought that was kind of stupid that they showed them that. And then Ross was like, "Well, you know, who knows where this one's going to end up?" And then it didn't even really happen that way. Yeah, and you get that weird clip of Abdullah as well. Right, I, I always right, think is just really, like I'm this, of all the feuds, Chad. This is the most confusing to me. The sting of it, like I have no idea what the narrative of that feud is, even though we've been watching it. No idea at all. Do you? <laughs> Not really. Like, I, I, other than Abdullah was involved at some point. Uh, so there we go. Um, I think it, I think Sting's really getting better this year, and you can we can see more evidence of that. Um, I did think, I mean, in terms of the bumps still being effective and looking sufficiently brutal, I think the match uh, kind of holds up on that level. Um, and to that end, I think, like, the concrete and the lack of padding around the ring helped right. to get across the brutality. Um, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit higher on you than you. I went three and three quarters, but um, not really the cla- not really a classic, I don't think. Um, whereas some people really do talk about this match as a classic. And uh, I was interested, I mean, I went on uh, PWO to see, and some people really think this is like a great sprint brawl, for example. I, I'm not sure if I see that, to be honest, Chad. Uh, I mean, three and three quarters is a pretty high rating, but I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't go as high as four and a half. So. Yeah, this is one that probably would be fighting pretty heavy to be in my top 100 for the year. It could be on, it could be off. It's just according to how good the year is overall. Hmm. So. Okay, well, now we're getting to a match that's when I very first uh, had the idea for doing this podcast, Chad. This was kind of one of the... In fact, this is the show that I was always looking forward to getting to, Beach Blast, because uh, this match and this show in general have always been very high in my estimation. So... Yes, it's the Iron Man, Rick Rude versus Ricky Steamboat. Um, so I don't know how we want to do this, but why didn't you start talking and uh, take it from there? Well, it'd been a long time since I'd seen this match, and I'd been holding off 
uh, on seeing this match because I knew it was coming up. I knew it had a good reputation. I remember liking it, but not didn't know quite to what extent. Uh, so I was really looking forward to this one. I, th- I think the opening here really sets the uh, tone because, I mean, this is an Iron Man match, which some people already are a little adverse to because you know you got a set time limit or you're having to watch a match. It's This is 30 minutes compared to 60 minutes, but uh, that's still a qualification there. The other thing is that if you just look at the end match result and see that Steamboat wins four falls to three, it seems kind of silly that you had seven falls in 30 minutes, uh, yeah. I guess, on the surface. But I, I thought the way they started this match, which the match starts with Steamboat really on a roll. Uh, he, he has probably the first seven or eight minutes of offense and is just attacking Rube's, Rude's ribs uh, to really great... Uh, intensity and really focused and this this in some ways actually uh, slided me on the valentine match earlier because even in this show i thought his attack of rubes ribs which is so tough for me to say apparently <laughs> uh outshined valentine's work on the leg for bagwell I, I thought this was just great stuff um but but i really loved how it transitioned into the first fall where rude ends up kind of hitting a Hail Mary shot, so to speak, and gains the first fall. So this match really more than any other in wrestling history that I can think of in a lot of ways feels like a uh, feels like a sport and kind of the ebbs and flows you see when watching sports. I yeah, don't know I, if you got that vibe. No, I, I completely understand what you mean. Um I mean, one of the small details here, and Jesse actually picks up on it, is that the early attack by Steamer is a little bit sneaky, in so much as he does it while his kid is still in the ring. So, yeah, so like, yeah. you could argue that he was using the kid as a as a kind of little distraction, or like he knew Rue wouldn't go in if the kid was there. Yeah, so, that was an, well, that was an interesting spot because uh, so yeah, Steamboat has Bonnie and uh, and Richie, and. Richie's inside the ring, and you see Rude kind of walk over, and Steamboat gives him a look like, come on, man, you're not going to tag me with my kid in the ring. But even before the kid's out of the ring, Steamboat starts firing off punches. Uh, yeah. So so that was kind of fun and an interesting take, where the heel, you could see the heel's kind of qualification and thinking that that was cheap uh, or a cheap tactic. Now, I think this is really great and interesting psychology early on here because it, we're so used to seeing, like, the heel jump the baby face. I mean, it's every Stan Hansen match ever, for example. But here, it's the baby face who gets the the, the, the ambush on the heel. And God, he goes for it, uh, Steamboat here. I mean, the, the, the focus on the... It's like I, I would... I, uh, I described the attack on the ribs as being salty, Chad. <laughs> um, because there was something really, like... He really seemed pissed off here, Steamboat. Um, honestly, this early control sequence from Steamboat is that like I thought it was absolutely phenomenal, and it may just be one of my favourite opening ten minutes of all time of any match. Uh, I thought Groot was absolutely great at the selling part of things, but everything Steamer does is so crisp and such intensity. And you know, you've complained in the 
past chat about Steamboat not having enough fire in the past, but look at him here. I mean, look at him in this first 10 minutes. Yeah, this reminded me of the intensity he has in the uh, Toronto Randy Savage match, which is one I actually like a bit more than the WrestleMania 3 one. Um, I, I got the same vibes here. Yeah, so, and, and then you get that first fall against the one of play, and then it goes straight into that quick second fall, fall to go 2-0 two, two up. Yeah. Um, so d- despite the, the babyface dominating, he's still against the odds. And I, I just thought that was classic old-school psychology. Uh, absolutely lo- love it up to that point, because you get that kind of, like, it's the scoreboard that counts, and that is the... Sc- like you see that so often in real sports where the team that's doing well somehow has been hit by surprise and suddenly they're two nil down, you know? Right. And it's like, I don't know. I, I thought that's really great opening 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, rude after the first fall hits the rude awakening immediately goes up to zero. Then I thought this was the only time the top rope was used very effectively where rude goes to the top, knows what he's doing but hits a knee from the top rope. He gets DQ'd, so it's 2-1 now. But then he immediately is able to uh, get a small package on Steamboat to take the 3-1 lead, uh, mm. which really put Root in a dominant position. And so at this point in time, we're probably 10 minutes into the match, and then Root, I, I, th- I thought was very smart as a, as a uh, heel here, that's up 3-1 because... What he, what he ends up doing is then just kind of going into what what we'd call like a prevent defense where he's not going to allow Steamboat to make a fierce comeback based on what he's doing. You know, a lot of rest holds, but they were, did them in such a way that it made it, one, make complete sense within the confine of the match, but also kept the match interesting like I, I wasn't uninterested at any point during uh this bit of root on top no I and mean, there's a few things i want to touch on there first of all the um the, the move from the top by rude i mean i thought like whatever you make of the gimmick of the of the top like they did a really good job of getting that over i thought with that particular move um and then i kind of loved the the pinfall justifying the dq it's a real bit of kind of uh, Machiavellian ends justifying the means, you know? Right. Um, and it re- establishes Rude as the villain in this match as well. I thought that was really quite neat. Um, I loved how, even throughout all of this, whenever Steamboat was going for a little hope spot or something, the ribs were the way back in. Yes. I, loved the, I loved the fact that it was always the ribs he'd go to as the kind of... And Rude never once forgot about the fact that his ribs were hurting. Like, in terms of long-term selling, his, like, memory of the of the ribs was really fantastic, I thought. Do, even when he was on top, um, which is something that, um, which is something that you, actually happens too often, I think, is that when people have been taking punishment and now it's their turn to go on top and they've, and they, they completely forget about any punishment they've taken. I mean, um, like even even sometimes you see that in all in in like the high, most highly touted all Japan stuff, where they kind of f- forget about that long term selling element. Not always, but sometimes you'll see it. Um, another thing that I really liked about this little bit was the exaggerated selling of Steamboat. Um, now 
I actually, you know, I love big performances, Chad. But did you see the way that he landed when he um, when he landed on Rude's uh, knees when he was going for that crossbody? Like the way the way he sells like the knees, or the way that the swinging neckbreaker just kills him dead. I just think it's absolutely uh, awesome stuff. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention, which you've already touched on, was um, Jim Ross and uh, uh, Jesse Ventura. They did a really good job of getting over the logic and the strategy behind those rest holds that you were talking about. I mean, he's running the he he's up three one, so he wants to run the clock down. And again, it's this notion of this is actually a real legitimate contest, and you know both guys have got a strategy, and currently it's rude strategy that is kind of winning the day. You know. Yeah, I thought that was very clever. Um, and then I guess we can kind of go into the the uh, finishing stretch where Steamboat does make his comeback, is able to uh, tie it up. And I I thought once again, once he tied it up, there was a uh, good shift where then he just started trying to get a pinfall any way he could to gain the lead. We saw him doing a very fast series of pins uh, once he got the tie. They had a big superplex spot, uh, which was really emphasized here that I enjoyed. And we go straight to the finishing stretch where Rude is able to lock on a sleeper. He holds it for about two minutes. Um, Really kind of gripping stuff, I thought, where it felt like, you know, this is a match that on the basis of pro wrestling history with booking, you would think, okay, the baby face is going to go over. But I thought this match did a really good job in making it 100% believable that you thought as the viewer that Rude was probably going to go over with the sleeper. I actually yeah. couldn't remember who won this match as I was watching it today because I knew it wasn't for the U.S. Championship. Um, which I also thought was kind of clever, too, to also make you think, oh, well, maybe Rude does go over. Um, so when Steamboat was able to kind of do a, a momentum reversal uh, and pin Rude with a minute left, once again, kind of Rude's ribs are the body part that failed him. Thought that was brilliant. But then Root gets up in the last minute and is absolutely like hammering Steamboat with everything he has. Uh, just a complete onslaught of moves, but he's unable to finish him off, and Steamboat wins 4-3. to three. Yeah, and I, I want to go back over some of, these, uh, some of those points, um, Chad. One of the things you didn't mention was the um, I, I pop for the kick out of the, from the pile driver. Because, um, you know, in, in this match, we've seen some kind of falls that you might not expect sometimes, like, you know, the sudden falls. That pile driver where Steamboat kicks out on the near fall was, was quite an effective near fall, I thought. And then, what an amazing transition where they do the, uh, where they do the, the tombstone reversal. The tombstone uh, reversal is something that always gets a pop when you watch it, and it yeah. got a huge pop here. Yeah, so you got the tombstone. I, I love that transition, and then the, the they they did the superplex into a backslide sequence to get the three three, which is uh, I don't know, just c- cool stuff, you know. I mean, how often do you see a three count off a backslide sequence like that? Um, and then the picking up the pace after that third four was just a like I love that. It really kicks into the third act from that point, you know, like burst of real energy from both guys, desperation. Um, 
I, there, at one moment, uh, Rude slammed uh, Steamboat's nose into the mat. And I, I love the way that his entire body went like a kind of pancake, you know, it kind of fe- like a br- brilliant selling of the, the slam to the face. Um, and I actually thought that the way Rude locked on that sleeper was awesome. Like it was a real opportunistic kind of, you know, he's really nailed that sleeper and he's wrapped the, the, he wrapped the legs around. So it, like that is really a kind of 100% full impact sleeper. Which is why it looks like it's going to be the actual finish, Chad, because he has it locked on so tight. Um, and then, uh, you know, Steamboat gets his fall, and Rude is like desperate, can't keep it up for the 4 3, which I just, it's awesome. Absolutely awesome. Um, Steamboat wins. For me, Chad, and I've been debating this all day, really, this is close to my perfect vision of what a wrestling match should look like, to be honest. Absolutely phenomenal. I think I liked it more this time than I did last time, and I really popped for it last time. So, yes, where did you go with the rating on this? So, rating-wise, I guess is the big question. We're both going to be really high. Mm. Uh, One thing, uh, too, just a quick mention. I did like how in the sleeper you could see the sweat really pounding the mat. Yeah. Uh, They really worked hard in this match. Um, So, rating-wise, I have went four and three quarters. Uh, But it would be a top 100 match for me. Um, Let me actually... uh, You can give your rating. I'm going to pull up my listing and see where I think it might slot in. Yeah, because you purposely left it off, didn't you? Yes, I Uh, purposely left it off because I hadn't watched it in so long. Um... So, so already there's two matches that I know would make my list because there's a, a Joshi Dynamite Kanzai versus Aja Kong match that would also make my list um, as well. But yeah, you can give your rating and I'll try to see well, where I slot it. So when I reviewed this match years ago, I gave it four and three quarters, okay? And that was the rating I went with when I compiled the top 100. Having not rewatched it, but I remember because when I watched the match that time, I popped huge for it. Like every like that finishing stretch had me out of my seat. Now I didn't have that kind of emotional response this time, but I did really, really. I I think I liked it even more this time. And this is what it comes down to, Chad. I'm looking at my list now, and I had it at um, where did I have it? I had it at 41. Okay. So these are some of the matches I had above it. Randy Orton versus Cactus Jack. Kabashi and Kikuchi versus Finesse and Crawford. Uh, Masawa versus Jumbo. Flair Steamboat Wrestle War. Cena versus Umaga. El Dandy versus Negro Casas. Funks versus Hanson and Gordy. Um, and then my first five-star match was Sangra Chikana versus MS Uno. DiBiase versus Duggan. Now... If I w- and then I've got like uh, Robinson versus Saruta, Flair versus Saruta, Cena versus JBL, Flair versus Funk, um, and then one of the Jumbo uh, Tenryu versus Choshu Yatsu tag. Now, honestly, and then I've got R- Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar, which seems uh, strange to say, but I'm just going and I'm thinking, well, if I really was forced to choose this match or any of those matches, which would I do? And honestly, I think I'd take it above all of those that I've just named. 
And in fact, I'm going to keep on going. Robinson versus Saruta, Hennig versus Bockwinkel. I'll stop there. It's going to be right around there. I, I actually would bump it up maybe 20 places after this. Uh, I wouldn't put it above the War Games. Probably wouldn't put it above the Briscoe versus Barber. Uh, Hart versus Austin. I don't know. To me, it's a match on that level. I, I really, really thought it was very, very good. So. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking at me and um, probably around the 60 mark. I'm looking at a stretch here of Bret Hart versus Owen Hart, uh, Aja Kong versus Bull Nakano, Anderson Zabisco versus Dustin Rhodes and Steamboat from Clash 17, which to me is kind of a good counterpoint to this match. Yeah. Because um, that to me is like your stereotypical Southern tag that's felt like sort of your classic old school encounter. Uh, Andre versus Stan Hansen, Masahiro Chono versus Muda from the uh, G1 Climax, and Daniel Bryan versus John Cena from SummerSlam 2013. That's probably where it's at. Maybe a, a smidge below like Masawa versus Akiyama from 227 2000 and the first war games uh hovering right around there so that's probably where it would end up yeah i mean to, to me chad i think this is this is very close to my vision of perfect right like if you if i had to draw up my my vision of what i want wrestling to look like it looks like this match um which i think plays into it a little bit more um because i've been thinking like what is my favorite style people like people have been talking about styles recently and um, it's probably whatever this style is, whatever the style that they work this match is, is my favorite style. So, yeah. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of thinking about Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. Um, and, like, I don't know. I don't want to say that he's taken a rep, reputation dip. Um, and maybe it's unfair, but just, like, looking at his thread at PWO... It, it it feels like you know with the theatrical selling and stuff like that. But I mean, look at the matches this guy's been in. I know. It's it's a list. I mean, you got the Flair series, you have this series with now Super Brawl and Beach Blast, and yeah, Rude is tremendous in both of those matches. But Steamboat is too. As we'll get to our end of the night awards, I think you'll see a contrast there. Um, mm. So you have you have that series. You got the Flair series. You got the match with Luger uh, at Great American Bash '89. You have the Savage series. You have he's in the Clash '17 match. He's Doesn't in he have that little match conflict. with? Doesn't he have that little match with Funk as well at one point? Yes, the uh, match with Funk is a very good match. I'm the match with Tully? Starcade uh, 84, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just... There's a lot of... Not only... I mean, he has a lot of really good matches. Phenomenal match with a But, I mean, he has some absolute <laughs> phenomenal matches. Uh, you'll, you'll catch that one on the... What on did, the, when did you say? <laughs> I slipped in the match against the Sheik when oh. you weren't listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, that, what, one of the things that I think, though, Chad, is that, um, like, so you and I have been watching, 
you know, we watched NWA shows, we watched WCW shows. I don't think the lens has been on those guys, like st- like Steamer, Tully, to an extent. Like, I don't think the focus is, like, the general focus of the community has been on those guys as much. So they're kind of, like, taken for granted a little bit, or they're taken as a given, not given a lot of scrutiny. Um, you know, whereas if, if, like, a big NWA set had come out, like, in the time that we've been doing this i think maybe more eyeballs would have been on that hot stuff so it's like everybody's high on tully blanchard say or ricky steamboat or whatever but it's like kind of out of focus a little bit or not really thinking about them you know what i mean he's certainly not a discovery (laughs) at this point so that's true i mean we'll we'll see where he ends up on the greatest wrestling ever pull but okay okay um, well, over to very much more uh, important matters now because it's the bikini contest, um, <laughs> uh, and so they they they're in their first bikini now, is it? Oh, um, did well. I thought this was the climax. We may have missed the swimsuit somewhere, or is that? No, 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 no. There's there's another one uh, coming. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. So, so this yeah, is the swimsuit. This is the swimsuit now. Uh, which way did you go this time? Well, so they said swimsuit, but then Missy's wearing a bikini. Yes. So, DQ automatically. <laughs> so you're going Medusa on yes, a technicality? Yes, gotta go Medusa on the technicality. Plus, I did like her look with the leather jacket. I went with Hyatt here. Oh, so, was this 2-2-2? Two, two, two? I thought Hyatt was looking pretty good. So, there we go. All this section was missing, really, was a perving Gene Oakland, really. <laughs> um, now, it's the Dangerous Alliance taking on Dustin, Nikita, and Barry Wyndham. Uh, the the DA at this point being on... Uh, oh, one of the things I forgot to mention in the Meltzers was uh, Larry Zabisco completed his face turn. So, But I think we discussed that already, right? Yeah, at some point. I believe so. But yeah, it, it was um, coming. Yeah, the special guest ref of this match is Ole Anderson, um, the senior ref. Uh, Pee Wee Anderson, very upset that he was stepped over, I've mentioned again. Uh, I, I kind of picture Pee Wee Anderson like kind of Joe Pesci in uh, uh, Goodfellas Good or something. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yes, it, it was on Bobby Eaton and Steve Austin uh, on the heel side here. What do you make of this? Um, I mean, I, I think after the previous two matches, these last two kind of feel like a little bit of an antidote. Uh, especially, too, because also you... I mean, the Dangerous Alliance, for all said and purposes, is kind of over. So this feels like sort of an anecdotal moment as yeah. well in the feud. But uh, this was a fine match, I thought. Uh, pretty good stuff. I like Dustin as the face in peril. Thought they did a really good job for that. Uh, I did like kind of like the Arn Oli interplay, but I wasn't crazy. I mean, Arn at least teased that he was gonna come off the top rope, but but yeah. I guess I guess he felt like it was like him daring his former partner to DQ him. Yeah, well, I mean, like if you've watched a lot of Arn and Oli matches, Oli Anderson would always come off the top with his flying knee. You see, right? So it's kind, of, it's is like, it, I don't know. It's probably one of those examples which is completely lost to anybody apart from, like, 
hardcore fans, but I guess it's a little reference to Ole Anderson's own kind of special move type thing. Yeah, I couldn't really get... They did, I didn't think they did a great sense of getting that over, though, on commentary as to whether um, whether it was, you know, because of the... Uh, yeah, because of it was an homage to Ole, or if he... You know, we're former partners, so surely he went DQ me. Of course, he ends up doing that. Um, I, I, I kind of felt that the whole... That whole deal here was just a kind of coincidence. That there wasn't actually an angle there. It was just one of those little things that these two guys happened to be in this match together. Right. And there's kind of a half a nod. Like, I mean, Ross mentions a relative at one point, doesn't he? But they don't really make anything of it. Um, yeah, I, I kind of feel that Ole Anderson in general is just an afterthought here. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't I don't think he's seen as legend. I mean, he does get booed when the crowd sees him, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, as far as this match overall, I thought, so again, I thought it was good. I mean, solid action. These two for, I mean, these six guys for 15 minutes, it's probably not going to be a, bad. Hell of a lot of talent in the ring. Yeah, but I, I didn't see it as very consequential. I went three stars. Exactly the same, Chair. In fact, my review is one line long. It just says, solid match, entertaining, never really got into second gear, sort of treading water. Right. It, I mean, it was just there, wasn't it, you know? Um, nothing offensive, though. Now, after the match, we get a Steamboat promo. Yeah, this was... A- which I really thought was not bad at all no. for, a, for a Steamer promo. But then, Paulie Dangerously is uh, there, and Cactus Jack jumps him. Now, I have no memory of Steamboat working a program with Cactus Jack. So, did this go anywhere? I think, and we'll have to see as the shows progress. But, I mean, I know Cactus Jack is pretty prominent in the Ron Simmons stuff coming up. Yeah. So, I think they sort of shoehorn this feud for that one. That's my impression. That they switched it. How do you think Steamboat and Cactus Jack would have got Steamboat on Steamboat versus time? Cactus Jack at this point in time seems kind of interesting because Steamboat could maybe keep that intensity working with somebody like Cactus Jack, so that would have been a little uncharacteristic. And by the same token, Steamboat could have maybe reined in Cactus Jack, so you could have seen his... Uh, you know, uh, in-ring diabolical tendencies instead of him trying to kind of out-bump everybody on the outside and whatnot. Uh, it had been interesting to see. I don't know if they had any matches. Ever. Yeah, it's, it's a weird... It certainly pinged my interest as being kind of weird interaction between two guys you don't expect to see together. Uh, I actually love Steamboat in 92, I've decided. like Because by this point, well, he's like a 14... 15 year veteran at this point right but he doesn't seem it he doesn't seem old he just seems like do do you know what i mean he doesn't seem old to me um in these matches he just seems like he can still go with anybody in the world you know yeah oh absolutely and i guess they did have a few matches one from february one from may uh one from august but nothing really long so i don't know Mm. interesting so, uh, yes, um, we now we get another bikini contest, and this is where we get the actual bikinis. Um, and uh, Jesse actually goes down there himself. <laughs> um, 
Now, for such a great pay-per-view as this is, I'm not sure what I make of these bikini. Like, this is not very good filler. No, it doesn't business. look great in 2015 eyes either. Um, so, so Mad USA lives up to our look here. She's <laughs> wearing a uh, patriotic bikini with chaps. Uh, one thing I should mention, I thought it was hilarious earlier on um, when they... I think it was doing that six-man tag when they um, showed the poll. How is it polling at the moment? And um, Medusa had 51%. Yes. And Hyatt um, <laughs> uh, had 49 And clearly, those figures were just to get people to ring in, saying, oh, I can't believe it. Oh, you know? yeah. Had her <laughs> behind. Just, just a complete grab to get people to vote her ahead. Um, right behind Medusa the pole. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, so I guess then they stole Missy Hyatt's bikini from her little hut. Um, yeah. So she has to use some of Jesse's scarves to uh, put together a bikini that I didn't think looked that flattering, to be honest. No. So I ended up going with Medusa. So I was in the 51%. I had her winning the whole competition. I, 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 me too, Chad. I went with uh, Medusa, yeah, as well. So Medusa wins four to four to two. I <laughs> there think. you go. And ends this series, this segment ends up with, I guess, Medusa slaps bad, and they go into her tiki hut, and Bad comes back out with her bikini top, and then Jesse goes in there, um, and then sleazy as hell. Yeah, peeks his head out and says Medusa is the first lady of WCWs. <laughs> Anyway. Oh, and when they went to Tony a couple times, he kept referring to this as hot. Like, this was a hot bikini showdown. It was it's kind of creepy, I thought, in a little way. The start of the TNA era. Yeah, like yeah. like Tony describing this as hot, uh, a hot segment. At, I don't know. It was kind of weird. Yeah. Tony's so clean, isn't he? Right, so, yeah. It, it seemed yeah. very, like, dad your dad checking out a waitress at a restaurant or something i don't know it felt weird yeah no i agree um anyway uh so speaking of one sort of boner tony's for them let's talk uh, about another sort of boner uh specifically bill watts's massive boner for doc and gordy which has been a cause of some con of consternation to me for many years like <laughs> the sheer extent of man love that Bill Watts had for these two men um, because they are going up against the Steiner brothers um, we also get a Varsity Club reference from Ross which I thought was a little bit uh, interesting yeah. and did you notice a Dory Funk Jr. shout out from Jesse Ventura <laughs> didn't even hear that <laughs> yeah they do the spinning toehold at one point and uh, Jesse gives Dory a shout out so there it's we go now, this match, uh, in some quarters... Oh, one thing I forgot to mention, by the way. Um, Meltzer. Yeah. Right? Meltzer's rating on the Steamboat Rude is three and a half. Oof. Which is way off. Really like, low. Like, I, I, that's, of all his ratings, that's the one that I just... No explanation given, either. No real... It doesn't really... Like, he just describes the action and then gives it three and a half. Hmm. So, That's interesting. Uh, it doesn't even take time out to comment, really. 
Um, and then that match that we just reviewed, he gives two and three quarters. So, um, but this match, Chad, um, like I work because I always do a little, you know, I, I have a look to see what people uh, who reviewed this in the past, like back in the 90s, Scott Keith and 411.com and Dark Pegasus and all those different guys. And uh, I've seen some pretty monster ratings for this match. So tell me what you think. Um. I mean, it's a, it's a thirty minute draw. It it's good, but this is another one that I never quite resonated with, and my notes are kind of scatterbrained. I think because of that, that's a problem with the uh, Miracle Violence Connection as a whole. Like as mm. a tag team, they have I'd say good execution. I mean, their power moves look good. Their punches look good. They have some decent or, you know, fun double team stuff. But they're never able to kind of put everything together in some ways to make a great tag team. Like, you know, I mean, the enforcers were short-lived. But the enforcers really worked as like a well-oiled machine and always kind of had a, uh, like, a, a gear turning, it felt like, in their matches. And a lot of times with the MVC, I, I just feel like they're they do some power stuff, and up oh, now they're on top, and they'll do some stuff. Up oh, there's the hot tag, and they'll bump off some stuff, and here they come back. I, I don't know how to describe it. There's a sterile, I guess, a sterile connectivity I have with them mm. that hinders a lot of their stuff. That I think it's good. Like I couldn't fault much that happened in this match. And I like the uh, face and peril stuff that Scott did. Uh, and the last Steiner line that Rick hit was uh, really cool. And the finish was actually fine with Scott kind of throwing the kitchen sink and almost hitting the... He does hit the Frankensteiner, but time has expired. But the match overall just never really didn't reach a great status for me. So I went three and a quarter. Uh, you mm. know... Fine enough to watch for 30 minutes, but not something I'll either remember or want to revisit, uh, you know, a few months from now. Yeah, I mean, they were doing that amateur-style stuff at the start with the chain wrestling, weren't they? But, I mean, really, Doc and Gordy just kicked the shit out of Steiners in this match. I mean, like, they destroyed Scott Steiner's leg. It was a very long face-in-peril sequence. Perfectly logical stuff. But... I got a quite like I think they booked they they booked uh, Williams and Gordy too strong in this. Interesting. Like, like I mean, well, the, uh, can think about the Steiners that we've seen, like a like a team that could go toe to toe with anyone in the world. Yeah, and they've like, been presenting them as the number one seed for the tournament. And all I mean, this. they kick they kick the shit out like like you know. All right, you need to establish them, but they really I don't know. It, it's it's. It's not the narrative I'd go... Like, to me, it seems like you're killing your number one babyface tag team, presenting them that way. Like, okay, you could do it if they were going to go over, but it ends up with a draw. So I, I, I don't know. It just didn't... Um, it felt like... And this is going to be a, a theme of the next few shows, I think. Just too strong of a push for Doc and Gordy here, for, for my money, right off the bat. Um I did, I did, I mean, I, this is another thing that I was interested to see what they were saying over at PWO. Um, in fact, Peter's Pete, uh, 
a fellow Titan, of course, um, has got some interesting comments on this whole show in that um, in that particular thread because he, he points out that um, they go to the rib injury in, in like three different matches. That, that that Cactus worked over Sting's rib, Steamboat worked over Rude's ribs, and uh, we we get some rib stuff in this match, I believe. Mm-hmm. So uh, that seemed like a kind of weird Burning thing. Game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where maybe you you know he said for a guy who had a rep of being such a stickler for detail, which uh, what seemed to kind of miss a lot on this particular show, uh, which is an interesting little comment. He also timed the match, and uh, it really goes around 24 minutes. He he says so, and I thought it didn't quite feel half an hour when I was watching it. Um, so there was that. But I, I'm going to read uh, something that LP said um, when he reviewed this because uh, I thought it was quite an interesting little narrative that he was telling here, and I just want to know how you'd react to it because I, I certainly have a, a reaction to it myself. Um, he says it. You know, he agrees that the booking made no sense with a non-title, with two different non-title matches, um, drained. You know, two thirty-minute matches on the same show drained the audience, um, especially when Doc and Gordy went over much. Anyway, he says, uh, what's cool is that there's no way that the Steiners are going to bully Doc and Gordy around. Doc and Gordy really give the entire match its structure, so I like it better than all those vaunted Steiner spot fests. Cool amateur stuff early on. Doc had really progressed working all this time in all, in all Japan, and it shows. Gordy is great. The, the Steiners are kind of shitty face in perils, although they work, obviously, towards a long match, uh, meaning a slow pace, uh, though they do got some heat near the end. Gotta love Gordy keeping an, uh, an ear on the final countdown, uh, and as idiot Steiner is doing a hand gesture to the public, with only a few seconds left, Gordy immediately gets up to feed him the for the Frankensteiner before it's too late. Gordy was great. Anyway, I like this a bit. Now, now, now to me, uh, I, I, let me, uh, what, what did you make of that? Like, did you get the fact that Gordy was great in this and the Steiner was shitty? Um, no. It wasn't I, my take. Yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't I my takeaway. Were, I, I didn't think that anybody was certifiably better or worse in this match to me. Yeah. that, that That's basically my take as well chad that uh like to me watching this kind of just sitting down i didn't get the impression that anybody was shitty and that, that anybody was particularly great either you know um so yeah honestly if i was going to book this match i'd want more of a spot fest i think out of the steiners i don't know if i want a match like this out of the steiners you know right seems to be not the correct use of them. It's almost like putting the Road Warriors in this match. Yeah, well, I mean, like, they're amateur wrestlers, so I can see the sentiment, but, I mean, the Road Warriors, they're not going to be amateur wrestling, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't... But um, imagine putting the Road Warriors in there and asking, like, Hawk and Animal to bump around for Doc and Gordy for half an hour. Right. It's just, it's just like, their MO, the Steiner's MO, or was being dominant. Or another tag team, like, um, do you remember AP, the APA, right? Now imagine bringing in a team and having them kick the APA's ass for half an hour. It just doesn't make any sense, like, it, it, to me it just kills the gimmick of what the Steiners are. So, anyway, I, mean, I gave it about, uh, what did I give it, three and a half stars. So, and um, Meltzer went three and a quarter. Okay. He didn't like it a lot, actually. He, um, he, he said that a lot of the mat work was boring. Um, 
fans have no idea what to make of Gordian Williams. They're obviously not faces, never been Bushra's heels. Uh, wrestling itself was solid. Uh, Gordian Williams sell a lot better than the Steiners, he says. Stuff off the mat was hard hitting. So, you know, good idea to do a Broadway, but left the show ending on a bit of a flat note. And in fact, I mean, that's one of the things that we might ask is why is this the last match on the show? Why wasn't it the Sting match or the or the Rude? Yeah, Sting that was a mistake, but pretty another example of one. another example of what's just always sticking Doc and Gordy in the main event. Sure. But uh, yeah, um, so yeah, that's the last match. Um, I'm interested to know what people make of. Uh, Doc and Gordy here because really I'm not a fan of uh, I'm not a fan of theirs as we'll come to learn over the next coming I mean maybe my views will change but I don't off this showing I don't think so Um, right Um, why don't we get to the end of show awards okay so well I think the match of the night is an open yeah match of the night is pretty easy MVP is more interesting. Yeah, so the MVP, I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but um, so on the Super Brawl show, I'm almost positive I picked Rick Rude. <laughs> if I didn't, I'm very surprised. But I thought Rude was just a smidge better than Steamboat in that match, and I thought Steamboat was uh, better than Rude in this match. So I am picking Steamboat for the uh, MVP here. Now, I, I hate to be boring, Chad, but I agree with you. Um, I thought that this... I, I don't want to say it was the Ricky Steamboat show because Rude really worked his ass off in that match. But um, I do think that Steamboat was the standout performer um, overall. Like, he really was... I, I think that opening 10 minutes is... It may just be the best offensive sequence in... Well, I, I say that. What about the 16 elbow drops in Clash 6? Uh, it's one of the best <laughs> offensive sequences in... Uh, uh, Steamboat's career. Yeah, and Rude did great selling the ribs. So, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, like my number two for this show is Rude, but I thought they're they're a one A and one B. I would say, um, yes. So that brings us to the uh, small business of the Billy Graham Award winner mm. uh, for worst performer on the card. Nothing, I would say, too bad. Um, I don't know. I didn't think anybody was awful on this show, so I may... And, and it's kind of tough to even pick a booking decision. Uh, I guess maybe Missy Hyatt is who I'm going with for the... Uh, because I think they tried to present the last bikini as something really risque and scandalous. And I think they probably could have done better than... Her what tying up Jesse's scars and not and knots and whatever. Trouble with that is that it wasn't sexy. Yeah, it didn't look great. Um, in fact, when she turned around, it was really hiked up. You could see like the back of the suit for the bikini bottom was like looked like it was kind of giving her a wedgie actually. So I, I yeah. mean, I mean, on a show like this, I mean, you could give it to somebody like Terry Taylor, but. Uh, you know, he wasn't bad in that match. He just did his job what, and got squashed. What, what about Scott, Scotty Flamingo? Oh, thank you. Yes, Scotty Flamingo. I will take the t- 
staying away from Missy Hyatt. I believe if Scotty Flamingo would have been more focused and would have had a better finish, that match overall would have been good. So, yeah, Scotty Flamingo. Thank you, Parv. That feels like a while ago since we talked about it, but that's true. I think I'll go with him as well. Yeah. It really didn't, like... I, I don't know. I think you've got to... I mean, it wasn't a terrible match, but I think that Brian Pillman could work... I don't know. I'd, I'd prefer him to see see him against any number of people. Yeah, I mean, I'd say uh, Brian Pillman, 18 minutes, 1992 pay-per-view opener. You'd expect better than two and three-fourths. Yeah. So. so, well, I mean, what do we think about the show? Because another question, of course, like in my mind, this is one of the great pay-per-views. Uh, that's what that was my thought coming into it. But now that I think about it, is the rep really standing on just that Iron Man match, or does it have more? Because I don't think either of us were particularly high on Sting or Cactus no, Jack. No, I think, or... um, yeah, I mean, I think if you think Sting Cactus Jack is a four plus star match, then this is a great show. But this is a weird show for me where, I, I mean, the two matches that are not good are so quick. And in your eyes, one of those matches is good and found time to yep. well. Yeah, um, I liked it. I mean, I thought it was just decent. Uh, so, so nothing is really offensive on this show. The bikini filler stuff isn't great, but they at least kind of keep that as short five-minute segments when they go to it. Um, but then also, the only thing I thought was really outstandingly great was the Iron Man match. So to me, an easy thumbs up, but as a pay-per-view compared to something like even like Super Brawl 2, I may give the edge to Super Brawl 2 because while the lows mm. were lower... On Super Brawl 2, it also had uh, tag matches that I liked a lot, and the uh, Rude Steamboat match was also great there, and Pillman Liger. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd, I'd only had, well, I didn't have any other match hit, uh, breaking the four-star barrier. No, um, Whereas some people have three matches on this card as four-star right. plus, you know, so... Um, I guess that makes a difference. So, from the point of view of the entire card not quite stacking up to my memory of it, um, I guess uh, slightly disappointing for Beach Blast 92, but that Iron Man match really hit the spot for me this time. Um, and uh, honestly, together with the other match, which honestly blew me away when we watched it, was that from uh, Super Brawl? Yeah, from Super Brawl 2. I'd, re- I'd recommend both people watching those as a uh, series because... Well, that's a great one too, punch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, carve out an hour and just watch those two matches. Hmm. The two guys absolutely at the peak of their powers, I would say. Sure. Like, I don't know. Ste- Ste- Steamboat is weird, isn't he? Because he's got the 89, which is so phenomenal. Then, like, 90 and 91 is like nothing. And then 92 is phenomenal again. Right. Uh, and he kind of goes like his 87 is really, his 86 and 87 are really good. What did he do in 88? Yeah. yeah. Does, he get, does he get injured? No, or? I mean, he, he leaves the WWF and then. He just that. has these weird gaps and kind of. It's like you get these glimmers of him being amazing and then he just disappears yeah, for a while. some lost years. So I, I guess that, that might hurt his overall case. I don't know. Maybe. So. Yeah. 
So what we uh, what we doing next time? Where 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 do we go from here? Well, we got clash, the, isn't yeah, it? we got the clash, which we may just do as a quick show. There'll be no melters, or we may just throw it in as the Great American Bash. We will see. Um, I don't know. This show put went pretty long, so if we do talk about the clash along with it, it may not happen. So. We may just do a yeah. quick, uh, fingers crossed, quick episode on the Clash, which I can't see it being that long with no Meltzer. Yeah, and a lot of like nothing. He tag team, right? Tag teams, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, if that's what we're gonna do, hopefully we can turn it around reasonably quickly. But until then, so long for now. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.